0: Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, a film critic who loves musical theater to, frankly, an unhealthy degree.
1: And I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and a frequent consumer of street vendor frozen treats.
0: Hmm. Ned, I think you also love musicals too. Maybe, I don't know if you would consider it unhealthy.
1: Uh, no, I think I have a healthy relationship with musicals, but I do love them quite a lot. Uh, but I figured I'd just go in a different direction than the one you did.
0: Yes. I like hanging out with you because I feel like we like different musicals, so we can kind of counterbalance each other a little bit. You know, some of the ones that are blind spots for me. Yes. So the way this podcast normally works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. But, as we previously established in our Prestige episode, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. (laughs) And what we wanted to do this week was take a little pause before we kick off our Dev Patel miniseries and do a special 4th of July bonus episode on John M. Chu's big-screen adaptation of In the Heights. And we are thrilled to be joined. More than thrilled. We're ecstatic to be joined. I'm so amped by a special guest who's going to help us break it all down. He's an actor, educator, theater maker, and professional game master. And arguably most importantly, he wrote the Facebook post that inspired this entire episode. He's Alejandro Tay. Welcome to Roll Calling, Tay. It is an
2: honor and a pleasure. Thank you all so, so much.
0: We're so excited to have you here. I would say normally our trio, we frequently discuss superheroes.
2: But think... you were we did a run on the MCU when as mm-hmm. it, they were coming out like phase 1, 2 and 3 what phase are we in 17 now? Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, yeah, we
1: must have watched phases 1 through 13 or something like that. Yeah, sharp eared listeners will remember our passing reference to our our MCU movie marathons with a third friend. Well, we are so delighted to get to introduce you to that friend. It me. It he. You. Thanks for being here,
0: And I was not kidding that we had no plans to do an In the Heights episode. We were going to take a week off, but I went on Facebook and I saw Tay posting about In the Heights with such a degree of specificity of its adaptation choices that I thought, I must immediately record a podcast about this because this is exactly how my brain was operating after seeing this movie. So Tay, I'm curious, what's your relationship like to the original In the Heights musical itself?
2: Um. Well, you know, you know, what's so interesting about this is that my my relationship to not only in the Heights, but L- the Lin-Manuel oeuvre, uh as well as Mirandaverse. Put- Yeah, the Miranda Oh, God. Oh, no. Um, As well as um, kind of musicals in general is me like really not wanting to like them as much as I do. Uh, (laughs) Just like really, really wanting to uh, not give in to... Just cultural pressures, especially being a theater kid, right? Uh, And as a theater, a a Latino theater kid growing up in South Texas, when In the Heights came out, oh my God, it was was bigger than Harry Potter for a hot second at the time, which is saying something. And I was like, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to pay attention to this. I'm going to turn my head and stick my head in the sand and just poo-poo for the sake of being i don't know iconoclastic or something or, how, or just being a little jerk
1: how um, old were we were we all like mid mid late high school do you recall yeah something? it came Would out it been...
0: 2008 yeah i think we were i think i was still we were still in high school we were right. all in the same grade so i think we were still in high school senior year or maybe the summer between so, senior year and college yeah yeah it, that feels
2: right um you know, and I'm and I'm hearing stories of friends who like made a trip to New York and told their story to the stage manager who brought them into the booth, and it changed their life. And I'm hardening my heart to that, um, and not paying attention. And so I I avoided in the Heights for a while until um, I finally picked up the cast album. Actually, after after Hamilton came out, um, oh yeah. Yeah, so I I got into In the Heights after Hamilton, and um, I was on a long road trip. I picked up the cast album, and I put it in, and I I literally had to pull over to the side of the road because I was weeping so hard that I could not physically, like, see the road or drive safely anymore. Wow. (laughs) So, uh, and then, you know, since then, it was off to the races. So all that to say, I actually, since then... Um I have not seen the In the Heights stage musical staged by a like professional touring production. I haven't seen it in New York or anything like that. I've seen um you, uh I've, I I I I watch the YouTube videos. Is that going to get me in is that
1: going to put me in No, jail?
0: I'm going to bring up a similar topic. So I think you're good to <laughs> Oh, it's, good. Okay. It's just well, going to put
1: you in theater nerd jail for sure. Yes.
0: I watched it on, uh, and
2: I, strangely enough, have worked on um, a high school production oh of In the Heights. Oh. I did fight choreography for McAllen High School's production of In the Heights, nice. uh, which was actually pretty that. stellar. They did a great job. Shout out McAllen High School's In the Heights. Y'all I are great. I <laughs> what So you would have
0: seen their full production. Of yes.
2: It. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. I love that so much. Ned, what about you? What's your In the Heights stage musical experience uh,
1: I feel like I might have um sort of the the most distance the 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 least uh powerful connection to the stage musical of the three of us I probably couldn't have named you that many songs from it uh prior to seeing this movie it I remember seeing Lynn Manuel Miranda on the Tonys I remember mm-hmm. thinking like wow this looks very exciting very different but I a lot of my musical obsession uh dates to musicals that I got that I learned about early on and during high school. Um my own version of sort of musical iconoclast uh reactionary behavior is that around the time I was getting ready to go to college and for several years thereafter I, I felt this real chip on my shoulder about a New York versus Chicago theater rivalry. So Ooh. I kind of wouldn't I kind of missed a lot of Broadway musicals of the last 12 13 years because I kind of had this like oh whatever that's just New York stuff. So I I wouldn't say it's in my uh my primary musical theater rotation. Um I did see a touring company of it a few mm. years after it opened. I think I saw uh Javi Munoz, is that yeah. his name? The guy who sort of like Bobby iconically, Herman. yeah, yeah, exactly. Who sort of seconds? Well, yeah. Would tell you, is it, there was a nickname for him? Or? <laughs> uh, he he's he's
2: the he's the sexier Hamilton. Sexy uh, Hamilton. That's right. I also saw Hamilton with him in the role, and he was quite sexy. So,
1: <laughs> so I saw Sexy Hamilton in the Usnavi role. Uh, I enjoyed myself for sure, but it didn't make a tremendous impression on me and then I saw the movie uh three days ago
0: it sounds like I might have the oldest the longest sort of relationship to it and that I was very into it when it first came out like you Ned I remember um Lin-Manuel like he raps his acceptance speech or it is very charming Mm -hmm. I feel like I have that memorized along with pretty much every song from the show so this has been one that's like really stuck with me and then I think, similar to you, Tay, around the time Hamilton came out, I then got really into it again. I would say that this is probably one of my top five favorite musicals, or at least certainly really high up there for me. Cool. And I had never seen it at all on stage, except for, like, you know, Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade performances and the Tony performance. And then last night, I may or may not have watched a bootleg of the entire original Broadway cast, so... <laughs> Wow. That's also a little bit fresh in my mind now too. Um, And I'm actually pleased to say, sometimes when you only know a show from the cast recording, when you actually see the show, this was my experience with Wicked. I was like kind of disappointed because I had written the show to be, I'd written the book scenes to be more interesting than they were. (laughs) And I'm pleased to say I did not have that experience with In the Heights. It was like exactly what I pictured it as the stage musical. Um, Anyway, we bring all that up because I think probably normal people who are not, musical theater slash theater kids like we are you can relate to the idea of uh, like a book you love being adapted for the screen and sort of the complicated relationship you can have to that you can probably relate to a movie you love being remade and the complicated relationship you can have to that and i think when a broadway musical gets adapted for the screen it's like a combo of both of those things because it's adapting one medium for another But it's a medium where there's like actors who are performing, it's sort of a similar to film medium, so it also kind of feels like it's being remade, and I feel like that can lead to like a lot of complicated (laughs) emotional reactions to something, because it's kind of hard to just judge something as a film when you're going in with with so many expectations for it. But I I do kind of want to start by grounding this conversation, and if you guys can sort of pretend that you haven't seen the stage musical before like do you have thoughts on just the the quality of this film almost separate from it as an adaptation i don't know if this is too much of a challenge but i don't know tay if that's something you can it you feel like you're capable of doing not at all
2: not even in <laughs> the slightest i'm not capable of that and i will be honest about that but i can tell you i think separate about my feelings about adaptation choices i do think that the movie is beautiful. It, yes. I think it's incredibly shot. I think the cinematography is fantastic. And I know that a lot of people I've I've been I've been reading a lot of of reviews and things where people um thought it was kind of ridiculous and over the top and I'm like D- so you just don't like musicals is yeah. what you're telling me. Um right? Like the, the I I appreciate the project of taking in ordinary everyday life and, and like a very grounded down to earth story and elevating it so far into the stratosphere that people are dancing on the side of buildings. I am all about that. And I think if, if you can't get behind that level of whatever you want to call it, heightened reality, magical mm-hmm. realism, cheesiness, then you pro- then musicals probably just aren't for you. Like that's yeah. just that's just it, you know? Um so I was all about that and I think I think um you know the the dancing is incredible. The actual like set pieces that they find. Like it's not just about how it's shot, it's about where they chose to shoot and oh. how they how the the specific very specific locations feel so tied into the narrative in a way that a stage musical could never do because you're on that one big and already very iconic set, but that's where you are. That's where you are for the whole three-hour runtime or what have you. And here, they really, really took advantage. I think, I think you know, John Chu did a great job taking advantage of film in that way to mm-hmm. take us all around Washington Heights. It was fantastic.
0: I do think that is a... I think the groundedness of the setting is some. sometimes, I think some people, well, I think obviously all reactions to art are valid. I don't want to be like people that don't like this movie are wrong, but I think that <laughs> a thing that people can struggle to wrap their head around is like, this is a very grounded real world contemporary setting, but it's having this really gauzy movie musical like lens put on it. And to me, that's sort of like the project of In the Heights. And, and Lin has said this before, he's like, he wanted to make a fiddler on the roof that's what he cites, and I know that's a favorite of Ned's. He wanted to make a Fiddler on the Roof for, like, a contemporary Washington Heights community. I always think of Oklahoma as another parallel, maybe just because, like, Aunt Eller and Abuela Claudia, they're, like, tied in my mind. But he, it's like, he, I feel like the project of the show is let's take this old-fashioned movie format and apply it to a contemporary community. So when people are like, oh, it was the movie was sort of, like, glossy for cont- for a contemporary setting. To me, that's, like, the point of the movie yep. or, or the stage show as opposed to, like, oh, that's a regretful element of I, it. I
2: used to have the exact or a very a very similar discussion about the musical before, before the movie came out when they would say, you know, the, the, this plot is... It's so standard, right? Like you look at the two couples, right? You have like mm-hmm. your main romantic couple who are clearly sort of like star-crossed and meant for each other, uh, and have a little bit of of a tiff, and then find each other, and then you have the other sort of like side. They're they're a bit funnier. They're you know, and it, it's it definitely follows like a rom com, especially a musical rom com mm-hmm. script. And I would say the same thing. I'm like, yes, and that is the point because uh, we, I say we, Latinos have not had the chance to see ourselves in that story, in that script. And it's making the argument, it's making the case that this is a script for us too. Um, So, yeah.
1: It could be Brigadoon, except Brigadoon is about people who are in the other 15 highest, (laughs) most grossing musicals at the same time. So then it's applied on on this this different setting.
0: Yeah, I always think that – I think Lin-Manuel, he has – there's more things that are going on in his work on sort of a meta level. I think sometimes people want to read his work very literally, which is fine, but sometimes you lose a little bit of the other elements of what the work is trying to do. Like, I think with Hamilton, there was a lot of discussion of, like, is this historically accurate? Is this – a good way to present the story of the founding fathers which is certainly a fine interesting discussion to have but like within that you also have to say like okay but the meta project of this of casting people of color to play the founding fathers is also like a story an artistic choice not incidental to what it's trying to do and i sort of feel like the same thing within the heights as we've been saying like the project of making a corny show about contemporary (laughs) new york is part of the choice anyway ned what are your What are your general thoughts on this movie? As someone who's a little bit less attached to the stage show, what are your general thoughts on the movie itself?
1: Uh, I was to, I was totally electrified by it, particularly in the beginning. Um, I thought, yeah, the way it's like, it's just it's just sort of like thrilling and nonstop, uh, like the energy that it pumps out in its editing, in its cinematography, in the dancing. I I responded. I think in a similar way to some of the the positives that Tay has already highlighted, where uh, where I just found like the vibes coming off this movie were awesome, and I sort of had my mouth kind of like hanging open. I mean, I as soon as they like hit that in the Heights title sting right at mm-hmm. the end of the first song, I was just like, "Yeah!" Except there were like there was like four other people in the theater, which is its own I think uh, phenomena that we can discuss, but. Um, but the my claps kinda echoed out into the empty theater. But I was I was riding high. Uh I think so many of the musical numbers work really well. I love I, I mean, I just feel endeared to all the characters. I would say I don't know. It somehow it doesn't we can dissect this, but it, it doesn't like punch me right in the soul as a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Tay's making a very uh Ready to discuss face. <laughs> I,
1: I I agree with you, Ned. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it didn't
1: it I don't feel that it had a tremendous emotional impact on me, uh, but I thought the style of it was extremely extremely awesome. And I thought it had a lot of really great performances. Um, and it's interesting to place that in context with Crazy Rich Asians, probably the the highest profile John M Chu project beforehand. Mm-hmm. Which I think might have been might have functioned on a similar level, where I, I, I thought the 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 style and the vibes of it, and all these little moments were extremely affecting. But I wouldn't say I had an emotional connection to the the way that those movies like, told their story ultimately.
0: Yeah. I think I'm similar to both of you. Maybe it sounds like I might be the highest on this movie of all of you. I really tried to, because I've had so many disappointments in my life of movie musical adaptations, I really, really tried my best to go in with an open mind. And I was glad I had seen the trailers because they prepped me. Like, it's always jarring when you're used to seeing something on stage and then it's in the real world and you're like, what's happening? This is not how I envisioned this. So I, I went in very prepped for that. So I think that that like, like get, tried to give myself as much permission as I could to just enjoy it as a movie in its own right. I think that what I really loved about John M. Chu's direction was that it felt like he was really trying to push the movie musical like format forward, mm-hmm. sort of in the same way that Rob Marshall did with Chicago back in the early two thousands, where he had this very clear, interesting vision for like making all the musical sequences, sort of fantasy dream sequences, and and like doing innovative things with it that didn't just make it feel like a stage show on screen. And I I really like how much personality John Chu brings to like each number. Like they're very distinctive, almost in like a music video way. Like, okay, this is the number where they dance on the top of the, you know, on the side of the building. And this is the Busby Berkeley homage. And, you know, we're going to draw little graphics on the screen for this. Like there's a lot of Fun and like innovative things within it that I think are like just very cool to see someone try and I hope will like inspire other people to get creative with that stuff and it certainly uh feels like a
2: natural extension of John Chu's career. This is the coming from of someone step up to <laughs> who is a huge fan of the <laughs> latter entries of the
1: step up franchise sure yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> I haven't um, I haven't watched the full step up films but I definitely have a sense of like you've got your rain number that's the most iconic one but you've got <laughs> your like hot red smoke number you've got it, it, is that is that an accurate impression of the my the way my the musical super numbers work in there? my
2: super quick Twitter take on st- on the step up franchise would mm-hmm. be as the movies go on the plot gets worse, but the dancing gets better. Um, mm. Like it gets, it, <laughs> it gets cool. so much more exciting and flashy and cinematic. And that is amazing to me. And then the plots kind of get dumber. But again, I
1: don't see that as a bad thing. Yeah. I find yeah. them
2: quite <laughs> enjoyable.
1: And I would say that the musical numbers here I can't think of a, I can't think of like a dud. Or like a, I can't think of a, a, a musical number in this that I would say like that one kind of failed in
0: what they were doing with it. Like so you would that you would skip on a. No,
1: not watch. not immediately. Not immediately. No um, uh, no topsy turvies. Uh, or turning turtle, whatever. <laughs> which is a reference yeah. to our our uh, we did a Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins returns, returns episode returns. two episodes ago, and that it has some skippable numbers in it.
0: <laughs> Another Lynn project. Yes, but um, very different. Yes, I think that the 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 one of. Probably the biggest asset that John M. Chu has as a director is his dance background, which really inspires him to get very creative with the staging. I also think... I don't know about this. this. Is sort of was my, he a dancer? I believe he was cool. himself. And then also, obviously, done the dance movie. So I yeah. think there's, like... he, th- From what i read, he, like, says that he thinks in a very dance-focused way, which I feel like you can get from this movie. I think my critique... My critique of the movie that's not rooted in its adaptation choices is that I think John Chu's, like focus on dance sometimes becomes a hindrance to the performances and that I think a musical you are telling us like singing in a musical is acting and I think sometimes John Chu films these sequences more like music videos where you're not necessarily focusing on the acting or the performance like it can be a little more abstract what really keyed me into this is the the opening line of the first song, like "Lights Up" on Washington Heights. Up, we don't see anyone singing that; it just happens while Usnavi is running up to the bodega to like kick away graffiti. Pete and right. I'm like, oh, what a weird choice because they're they're trying to save the moment where he says, "Hey y'all, good morning" for like the first time he speaks to the camera. But I was like, oh, how weird. This is like the introduction to this character <laughs> and this world. And no one's singing it. It's like an abstract moment.
2: Because because in the film version, it's not the introduction. We have our weird frame device that is actually introducing us to Usnavi. And I think a fair read of that moment might be that is his voiceover as he tells sure. the story to the kids. Oh, I see. You know, bringing us into that moment. Cause we have a whole. I mean, I'm not. I'm not
1: defending that choice, no, 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 but no, I'm saying right. that might be. But there's a, lead a whole. I forget. There's a whole dialogue scene at the beach before. Yes. That the first the, line, oh, the right? opening of the movie
2: is actually sueñito. What what is sueñito? Que es oh. un sueñito? It's a little dream, and that is our opening, and that is the first time we see Usnavi mm-hmm. is on the beach with the iconic sort of like goatee and hat, looking like uh, Lin-Manuel's costume design from the musical, yeah. but he. He's already on his beach and he's chatting with the kids.
0: Mm-hmm. It feels like the movie, and sometimes I like this about the opening scene, and sometimes I doesn't. I don't. I doesn't. <laughs> sometimes I don't. It feels like that 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 scene in particular. Like we have to ease an audience into the idea that this is a musical. So like the first line, we won't see anyone sing. We'll kind of build up to that. And and they, I, I the part of that I really like is they build up to the dancing. I, maybe it's my favorite shot in the movie where you see Snobby's face looking out of the bodega, but reflected in it is the first time we see a big group of people dancing. And that's was like, oh, that's an interesting choice to sort of get people used to the vocabulary of this is a world where everyone can dance. Maybe I will also take a moment here to say, I- I'm curious how we all saw this movie, but I will point out, I saw it first time in a theater, which was relatively full, like really enthusiastic audience. That was super fun. Uh, I've jealous. now watched this movie three times at home. So I will say that I have I could really break down a lot of the shots pretty specifically here. The The novelty of I saw a movie in a theater and now I go home and can watch it again. Like that was really blew my mind. And especially with <laughs> movie weird. musicals, my impulse is like I usually listen to the, the soundtrack a lot after I see it. And I was like, oh, instead of doing that, I can just put on the movie like while I'm doing work <laughs> and have it on the background. So I'm curious, how did you, Ned, How you said that you saw in theater but with a smaller audience.
1: That's right. I held out – uh I was originally, I remember this actually being a movie that Emily and I discussed when, last year when HBO Max said, okay, fuck it, we give, we're doing a bunch of movies on HBO Max next year. You know, you can see this, this, this. And I was like, oh, well then I'll definitely see, I'll definitely see In the Heights since I can just watch it at home. From the first trailer, I was like, hmm, can't tell if good. But I'll watch it if it's for free. And then some of the discussion around it, some of the most positive discussion has been people talking about the sort of electrifying experience of returning to movie theaters with this, as opposed to the anticlimactic experience that we had of returning with A Quiet Place <laughs> yeah. too. But some people were returning to movie theaters with this movie.
0: Yeah, and a much better... Having seen both in theaters in the Heights is a, is a much more fun theatrical experience, at yes. least for me. And it, in that way of,
1: as we've all sort of already sort of praised the the highly dynamic, highly stimulating, colorful visuals of this movie, it is a great way to be like, oh yeah, I remember what's so nice about this big, big, big screen. Although I would say, particularly in that moment where I clapped for the title in a mostly empty theater, I thought it would be <laughs> more fun if I was seeing this with a bunch of people who were really here for it, uh, in you know, in the early in the run. But I, I couldn't make it early in the run. So so I watched that and then I I have it on HBO Max, but I haven't. I haven't gone back to revisit it.
0: Kay, what was your viewing experience?
1: HBO Max all the way, baby. Oh, there we
0: go. Uh, yes, I just, we
2: we popped it's it on convenient. of an evening. We did make an event out of it because through a random series of events, my family couldn't all sit down to watch it at the same time. So we kept waiting because we did want to like sit down together and watch yeah nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh which we did. And I I enjoyed that. I I'm gonna say something that might get Uh-oh. me howled out from certain places, but I'm 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 good. Not going back to the theaters. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm so fine with
1: that. <laughs> there
0: is a convenient. I actually kind of well. Okay, it's a bummer because In the Heights has not been doing very well at all at the box office, which it makes me sad. Like even if there's, I have problems with this movie. I would like this movie to succeed. I don't know how much of that is the HBO Max factor making people not go in how much of that is just you know it people are not so into musicals or it doesn't have the most famous stars in it i don't know but like you tay i actually kind of really like the option of okay if it's a movie i don't really care about to go see in theaters like mortal kombat great i can watch it at home if it's a movie i really care about i'll go see it in theaters and then i can also watch it at home. (laughs) i actually do kind of like that flexibility that it's providing
1: I'm in a different. I, I'm. I. Uh, we're not going to howl you out of this podcast at all. <laughs> but I am in a different place where it was honestly in the past few years that I, the past like two years. Ironically, it was in the year leading up to the pandemic that I, kind of there was a shift in my thinking where I used to talk about, oh, is this one that you need to see in theaters or is it one you know, and it would essentially be like if it had explosions or was a musical or was highly visually large then it was an in theaters movie, but a a talky drama would be something you could just, it didn't really matter. And I think this actually started with the movie Moonlight, which is a talky drama essentially, but which just some of these visuals and like the lines in Naomi Harris's face and these like contorted slow-mo moments. I was like, Oh, you know what? I like seeing all movies on a really big screen cuz that's the format that they're meant for. That said, I don't want to be I'm not like that's just that's just what 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 vibes for me. I don't think as maybe the Christopher Nolan's of the world do that it's like, "Oh, you'll actually never be able to connect with what makes a movie great if you watch it on your chest." I've had, you know, major major you know, religious experiences watching movies that were six feet away from me on a tiny laptop mm-hmm. screen. It does It does not really make or break the experience. But I have- That's
2: That's a hell of a thing for Christopher Nolan, especially to say, considering watching his movies at home is the only way you can do so with captions on.
0: <laughs> and the only way you can- finish Tenet, and then immediately rewind and try to figure out what the hell happened in Tenet, which is what my family 100%. and
1: I 100%. 100%. Yes. Yeah, so he may not realize what a beneficiary of the at-home streaming yes. option he is because for him it's all about. But but I, I, do, I am glad I went to go see it on the big screen. I will probably pop it on and skip around on HBO Max mm-hmm. in the coming in the coming days
0: i did feel very lucky to have a fun audience to see it with which i mean that's the other thing it's like that's the dream but i there have been plenty of times when i've gone even on opening weekend i've gone to see a movie and that audience reaction doesn't happen so that's also kind of a gamble but i lucked out with this very enthusiastic audience they clapped at the end which was super fun and i will say i think the closest i've ever come to what comic book fans describe were like all of a sudden everyone like knows what Thanos is and they're, it's like their mind is blown because they're like, I grew up with this obscure character and what's happening. Hearing an audience full of people laugh at a Hamilton joke in a big screen adaptation of the In the Heights musical, I was like, what is happening? This is like everything that was my weird obsession in high school is now mainstream. And like what I really that... Probably blew my mind more than anything else.
1: What were the Hamilton? Were there multiple Hamilton jokes?
0: I caught. There was just one. You it hear. Was, I'll on be the, back, right? Mm-hmm, on the phone, Jimmy Smith is on hold, and it's the. Uh, that's, that's funny. That's, funny. Is the
1: that's hold funny. music. Yeah, I cu- I caught that one. I was wondering if there were more throughout.
0: No, there are little Easter eggs. I think some of the, a couple of the original cast members pop up. I actually think Javi. Munez, who you mentioned, might have a little cameo, although I didn't spot him. I did
2: spot I didn't him. see him
0: Lynn oh, Manuel weird. Miranda's parents in a cameo, which did I was like, you? this is also weird how quickly I recognize. You just him. recognize them. <laughs> that is that's his dad wild. is on his Twitter. His dad is kind of like a persona in his public life. Okay. And so I had an I Im- I w I didn't recognize his mom, but I was like, Oh, there's Lynn's dad. I would, I would cameo not be able
1: this. to pick them out of a crowd at all. But that's that is impressive.
0: Uh I did okay, so I sort of want to start transitioning us. We covered the movie in and of itself, sort of, but I want to start transitioning us to a movie as adaptation, because again, that's where, where Tay and I were really on the same wavelength here. So let me, maybe Tay, what I'm going to try to do is like vaguely lay out some of the biggest changes just for people that don't know the musical itself. Like me. And you Bef- can correct Yeah,
2: me. yeah. Before, before we actually go into yeah, go changes, though, I do think it's worth noting, you know, because um, I think that this is awesome and regardless of what we discuss i think it's fantastic that um chiara alegría mm-hmm. Ules, who did the book for the musical and, and co-created and wrote the thing with lynn like they they are the the like mother and father of this mm-hmm. story um is doing the adaptation and is doing the screenplay and is so which, which to me i'm like Awesome. We are seeing not just an adaptation of this story; we're seeing an evolution of the story as it is being conceived by its creators, Mm -hmm. which you don't always get with adaptations. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So you
0: don't, I would say.
2: Right. Right. So I think, regardless of what kind of like studio pressures they may have been under to to you know fit whatever notes they were getting. Um, that is pretty cool. And something that I have been thinking about a lot lately as I go back over some of the adaptation Mm -hmm. choices.
0: Yeah, that's a very good call. Obviously, Lynn is involved in this. I don't know how much the the screenplay is just credited to Kiara, so I'm assuming she was probably more involved than Lynn cuz i know he like also directed tick tick boom like he seems like he's pretty busy obviously he's in this as the piragua guy which is like the most charming thing i've ever seen in my life to castle and
2: and i'm ready to like get into a fight over cuz i think it's the wrong call but we can t- <gasps> okay, we can talk we about that later we'll um but but fight. i, I it, it's my understanding i might be wrong on this it might it's my understanding that the the lyric changes are all his like he they might like be. they stuck I think they stuck to their roles and Kiara is still handling the, you know, the screenplay, mm-hmm. the the book, and he's doing all the lyrics, which there are a significant number of, of sort of edits, mm-hmm. cuts and lyric changes.
0: Yes, there are. Um, okay, so let me try to lay out just a f- some of the bigger changes and then Tay jump in for the things I'm missing. As you mentioned already, the framing device is new for the movie. In the stage show, it all takes place really over the course of like three days. And you sort of meet Washington Heights. They have the club scene, the blackout. The next couple scenes are all sort of over the course of the blackout. Um, This adds the framing device of him what we what we think is on a beach in the Dominican Republic, and eventually revealed he was at. Oh spoilers! Those of you
2: those of you tuning into this in depth discussion of In the Heights, did you not know? Did you not know that we would talk about the ending of In the Heights? Turn away it now. I at all. The green
0: crab wasn't real. So the framing device is new. The idea of seeing a glimpse of his future with kids and being married to Vanessa, that's all new to the movie and the stage show. It's all just present day, those like three or four days or whatever it is. Um, I would say, obviously, there's so many little changes, but like the biggest thing, I think that the show is very ensemble based. And if anything, I would say Nina is almost functions like the protagonist, even though Usnavi is the narrator and that we're really like... We're following her coming home from college, her sort of crisis um, of identity and figuring out where she belongs. In the stage show, she has both a mom and a dad, so they're also supporting characters. Her relationship with Benny is more fleshed out. Her relationship with her parents is more fleshed out. There's there's actually
2: conflict in that family, which is absent in the movie. Yes,
0: exactly. So that's all more complicated. I think what the movie is essentially trying to do is make Usnavi the protagonist in addition to the narrator like i would say if anything he's because we keep doing those cutaways to the beach he just he's and i didn't realize this till watching the bootleg last night but like (laughs) usnavi is not on stage as much in in the heights as you would think like he really will disappear for long stretches of the show he feels like one of many characters that are the focus and i think the movie grounds it much more in usnavi and then by the nature of that, also tries to amp up Vanessa's character, because they're like, okay, Usnavi's our lead, Vanessa's his love interest, so let's make Usnavi and Vanessa the main couple of Yeah, the they movie. are,
2: in, in, right, in the stage musical, they are definitely the secondary foils yes. to Benny and Nina.
0: Yes, and in, like, Oklahoma terms, I would say they're, like, Nina and Benny are, like, the Laurie and Curly, hmm. our main romantic couple, and then Vanessa and Usnavi are, like, the Edo Annie and Will, where they're, like... And you mentioned this before, Tate, but like a little more comedic, not quite as romantic, but like there's potential to get there.
1: Right. Um,
0: so yeah, a smaller, a smaller thing there. Um, oh, that's
1: very interesting.
0: Yes, and then the idea. They also make some changes, like in the stage show. Vanessa's dream is really just to leave Washington Heights and move somewhere nicer. And we get the sense that she's sort of in a toxic environment with her mom and she sort of wants to move out of that. Something I didn't know till I just watched the <laughs> again watched the bootleg last night. But anyway, the general sense is she just wants to leave. In the movie, they give her this specific dream of wanting to be a fashion designer. And that sort of ties into Usnavi's eventual decision to stay. There's, I mean, a million little choices. Um, the, we probably don't have time to get into all of them, but I know one of the biggest ones, and this is what your post was about, Tay, was like sort of the way that abuela Claudia functions in the show versus the movie, is in some ways the differences are subtle and in some ways they're major. Like it it is a weird I don't well, know. It's, it's a weird it's,
2: yeah, go ahead. For for me, it's and and this is sort of what I posted, is it's the structural change that gets made. Um and you know, you hear Lynn talking about uh, how he writes he writes his musicals the way you would build a cathedral right he takes a, a long time and every stone is sort of in place supporting the thing mm. um and you know that that sort of overblown description or not it it does you start to I I definitely watch the movie and this is why I can't separate my my views of it from the adaptation. I can see all of the seams in the story that are just made so glaring, just because of the structural shifts. Mm. So you you want to talk about the and and they they most acutely affect Abuela Claudia's character, Mm -hmm. but I would say that it is it 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 causes this sort of like weird ripple cascade tide effect across the story as a whole. So you have. The big one for me is putting Carnaval del Barrio after um, uh, Abuela Claudia's death. Mm-hmm. I think that for me is is one of the the biggest and most
0: baffling
2: changes mm-hmm. that they can. Make. I real
0: quick. So in the stage yeah. show, we find out basically. In Act 1, we find out that she won she, that she won the lottery and there's a lot of discussion of her Yeah, right after uh 96,000.
2: So mm-hmm. here in the the movie tries to elongate that mystery and keep that dramatic oh. question of like what happened with the lotto ticket. Usnavi brushes it off like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who won the lotto ticket. All that matters is that we had a sueñito. Mm-hmm. And in the musical, they solve that question right away. The very next number is Paciencia y Fe. Mm -hmm. Which the big reveal of Paciencia y Fe is that she has the lotto ticket and she doesn't know what she's going to do with it. Mm Wow.
0: And so a lot of act two is her and Usnavi sort of discussing what they want to do and there's you you see her actively thinking about the money in a way in the the movie you don't because that's sort of the last minute reveal. She
2: makes choices. She is there and she is struggling and she makes choices and she has agency and she arrives at a decision she says okay we're gonna split the money a third for you a third for me a third for Sunny we're gonna do this.
0: Yeah and in the stage show Usnavi's dream to go back to the Dominican Republic like, is much more tied to Claudia. Like, he kind of mentions it in the opening, but I feel like the actual, like, let's go, that comes after she wins the money. And a lot of it is her pull to be like, Usnabi, I want to take you back there. You In the stage show, he comes to the U.S. I think he might be born in the U.S. Like, it's in the movie, they make it that he grew... It was like he was eight when he... Right. immigrated but i think it's more in the stage show it's more like her like i want you to come back there with me and we can experience it together mm. and get out of new york so they have a lot of discussions about that in the stage show like you mentioned we get carnaval de barrio as sort of just like a big fun act two number at the end of that we get the sort of shocking reveal that claudia has died and then the the last like third of the stage show it's like it's which is upbeat huge. and fun. Which is so but it's huge somber. because, because,
2: exactly, because Carnaval del Barrio, as it is written, and it's in the lyrics, and it's in the lyrics still in the movie, which makes it so weird and kind of cringy to me. Huh. Um, those lyrics are designed like the big conflict drama of that song is like, we're, we're losing morale. It is, mm-hmm. it is hot. We are losing our spirit. People are moving and we don't know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And we pick ourselves up off the ground by celebrating ourselves, by celebrating the communities we come from. That incredible it works so good it also comes right after uh benny and
0: nina very explicitly have sex over the act break yeah Um, there's a benny and there's a couple benny and nina and nina in general songs that are cut there because they reduced her storyline a little bit a lot of the cuts are stuff that were involved with her storyline including another duet with her and benny that opens act two called sunrise
2: so in so in carnaval del barrio a lot of the like fun playful jabs you know at at Benny for like hey it's already made its way around town we know what you were up to last night um a, a lot of like sunny's stuff being like we're powerless we we don't have power come on and Osnavi saying like come on just pick yourself up man like i'm going to fly this flag i have in my hand all of that stuff works really well when it's like hey we're just fighting this this dip in morale that we have as a community it rings so wrong to me when it comes after Claudia's death mm-hmm. and we have, and that is now like hanging over everyone. I'm not against the idea of like figuring out how to turn that into a party to be a celebration mm-hmm. of her life or or something like that. But the the song was not written that way yeah. Yeah. and you see there are like some weird awkward lyric changes that try and smooth it over but again it comes
0: back to i can i can feel all of the seams right there in that yes, song i i agree so i actually don't mind that that this choice in particular to move carnival de barrio until after her death i actually don't mind that adaptation choice i think it's a I think what the stage show is doing is like happy, 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 sad for the end. And what the movie's trying to do is like somber chunk in the middle and then like leave you on more of an upbeat note. So I don't mind that one as much. But what you're getting at where it's like, let's make changes but not quite change the music to reflect that. I feel that all over this movie. And that's the sort of thing that I'm like, probably if you don't know this musical at all, you don't care about this stuff. But there are... So many, they do make lyric changes, but there's other times where the lyrics are the same, but they're just showing you different visuals as almost as if to like trick you into thinking that you're seeing something you're not. And that to me speaks to John M. Chu sort of being like, oh, it's a music video. It doesn't really matter if it all matches. Whereas in a musical, like the lyrics are very literal. They're describing what the, what the character once and I think of this in Vanessa's big number where her lyrics are about I want to hop in an airplane and fly away and the imagery they're showing us is fabric falling from the sky. So like the imagery is saying she wants to be a fashion designer. The lyrics are saying like I want to travel. And they're not necessarily like at odds, but they're also not fully matching. And there's a lot of moments like that throughout where like I can just tell that they're almost like trying to trick you into not listening to the lyric and just make you look at the visual instead. Caroline,
2: did you did you also expect her to take off Grease style at the end <laughs> of that number? She's running down the middle <laughs> did of not, the... But I was. I, was I, I 100% and I would have been all about it. I was waiting for her to say... Hopping off yeah. of JFK and flying away. And, like, she takes off freaking running down the street. And I was expecting the camera to just follow her as she, like, and Superman fly.
0: goes off into the that sky. <laughs> Let's just say, Melissa Barrera can run. She yeah. was running fast in that. It was impressive she does for Vita too. Ability. Yeah, if you well, watch her on Vita, dude, she, she, she's, she's a runner. She's a runner. Special skills. Um, okay, are there... Oh, and then the other big change... Is that at the end of the stage show, the one big thing that really motivates Usnavi to stay is that Sunny commissions graffiti Pete to paint a giant mur- mural of a boila cloudy. And throughout the show, there's been Usnavi has this very antagonistic relationship with Pete, and he's like, "Stop trying to tag everything." Um, and then it's sort of like, oh, actually, Graffiti Pete is an artist and Usnavi realizes that the best way to honor Abuela Claudia is not to go to the Dominican Republic, which is more so her dream. It's to stay in this community and keep telling her story. The ending of the movie sort of has that element a little bit in that you see fe" written on the wall, but it is also tied into a general mural of the dream of where Snobby wanted to live on this beach. And then all tied to his dad's dad's dream.
2: I mean, that's, that's the big adaptation change thing with his pops. We have, we have his dad had this place that has now fallen apart. And all of this is brand new for the movie. So in the movie, he's, he's following his dad's, his dad's dream. And he's, he's made it his own. He's going to go back to the island. He's going to sell the story and go back to the island specifically with the intent to rebuild this place that his dad had. And the movie goes to great lengths to make you believe at the top that that's where he is telling mm-hmm. the story from. That he that he succeeded already in doing that. And we are hearing all about this in the past tense. Um, that, that is such a strange adaptation choice to me but again i am so i'm so colored by what i already knew the the musical was yeah. so i'm curious ned like how does any of that stuff read to you and hearing some of the stuff we're talking about does that change anything
1: uh, yeah ned give us your thoughts it, it definitely changes some th- i mean the
0: As I said. But also, it's okay if it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, I almost feel like maybe that's the better way to see this movie is to not know all these things that we are dissecting. Well, I
1: do think that it is sometimes hard when you are seeing an adaptation to separate yourself from what the show does for you, which is because pieces of art hit us in different ways and an adaptation might focus on a different thread than the one that really resonates with me.
0: Mm-hmm, you know, when we
1: talk about, we talk about <laughs> talked a lot about Batman adaptations. A lot of times it's like people, a lot of people are engaged in Batman for things that are different from what I engage with Batman about. Um, I actually have thought since the movie V for Vendetta, drawn all these analogs, that it is actually sometimes better to see the maybe insufficient... To to see the slightly thinned out or flattened adaptation first. And you could just be like, wow, that's cool. And then you understand the original, which when we're talking about book to movie often is just like significantly more detailed. And you say, so, oh, there's so mm-hmm. much more here. Instead of seeing those things get removed. So I do think that I didn't come out of this movie thinking, hmm, what a peculiar structure. I did think... Some things were a bit strange. I'll say it is interesting, I didn't realize that uh Nina and Benny are really function as you two describe it as the the central characters. In this one, there's no doubt that your central and most important relationship is the relationship between Usnavi and Vanessa, which is which yeah. is not really that dynamic. I mean, it's essentially like they have some communication errors that at the end I guess they just say whatever. So that feels.
0: Can I just say that scene where she's like. I just. The scene comes out of no. The whole dynamic is like Vanessa is the coolest girl ever and Usnavi's a nerd and he's like trying to date up, right? That's their dynamic. Then all of a sudden there's a scene where she's like, Usnavi, I'm just a nail technician. You could never love me. And I'm like, what? This was not your dynamic at all. Where did this come from? Like, this was not. I don't know. There was a lot of things with Vanessa that they kind of, I think, just try to desperately throw at the wall to add. They also Stuffed cut her. him getting in a fight at the club.
1: Yeah, doesn't he deck somebody or Benny deck somebody? That's what I was Benny hired fight, on in yeah. the McAllen High say. School
2: production <laughs> to stage. That's right, I of was, course. Was Navi getting mad and decking a
0: guy. Um, I remember that because doesn't yeah, Benny because... punch? I think it's Benny that punches someone, isn't it?
2: Oh, that's right. They get, they're like shoving around. Someone goes to punch someone else. Someone gets in front of the punch.
1: Sure. And then
2: it turns into a whole fight. Fight. And the fight is threatening to to actually be a sort of major, until the blackout happens. And that sort of like cuts it in the middle.
1: I see. Yeah, but. So there, there's, there's just like more, there's more there. But. Yeah,
2: <laughs> for sure, as you described.
1: It was interesting that Nina and Benny still have a lot of moments, but they are sort of they do appear mostly in their songs. Nina's whole thing has more to do with her sort of relationship to this child memory of herself and her relationship mm-hmm. to her dad. But it is interesting to see whatever there's, whatever's the name of the song where they dance on the side of the building.
0: Yeah. She, when the sun goes when down. When the sun
1: goes now, which is a, I think a, a lovely classic style musical number, but it is a little like, Oh, hmm, these two. What? Uh, I haven't seen that much of them, but I do have a sense of, I think without necessarily knowing the details, I did have a sense because I could recall the image of like pulling down the bodega grate and the Mm -hmm. mural is Abuela Claudia. I did have a sense watching her in this movie that while large sort of tectonic plates of the movie had been shifted around, she'd kind of gotten bumped off and allowed to remain like in the cracks between them. Mm
2: -hmm. And that is why I would argue that there is no soul punch in this movie, Ned, because they edited out the soul,
1: the heart (laughs) and soul of the movie is Abuela Claudia and they
2: cut her. Yeah,
1: I mean, I will say it is most striking without knowing exactly the details that were like how they originally fit in. When Paciencia y Fe happens in the movie, which is, again, I think a a beautifully staged number. It is maybe
0: the best number in the movie. I think so
1: and I think someone maybe someone else pointed out how how obvious it would be as a movie musical choice to fill that to make that a B-roll montage scene where as she narrates we see these sort of silent clips of like a young Abuela Claudia I guess as a young Claudia with her with her <laughs> parents and like like 1940s flashbacks and the way mm-hmm. they turn that into a more theatricalized adaptation is really beautiful but it you can still smell that the energy that song is about like grappling with weighty issues and all she's actually doing is dying when that song happens in the movie which means she's Mm -hmm. not really grappling with anything particularly because they go through such lengths even before that song to show like she's dying like she's she's looking with all this like love at her people she's like at peace and then they have this song that is totally in the way it's composed filled with these like feelings of turmoil and yeah. and i'm like Wait, well it's what's also going on? and it's also it's also
2: constructed as an introduction to her, and that is the and that is the thing that really gets me is that paciencia y fe is a killer number. Like there is no argument about that whatsoever. Yeah. It is a freaking showstopper and beautifully performed in the movie because and because on stage, because actors. Olga Merediz is Abuela Claudia and has always yeah. been Abuela Claudia. Was she the original. she was the original entire higher. Through the entire original Broadway run, she was Abuela Claudia. Wow. There were never there was never anyone who took over for her during that run. So she and she also she actually also talks about in interviews, and I think it's so cool. She's like, I'm so I'm so excited to get to play this part now because I feel like I finally aged into her. Yeah. Oh, of course, because right? it was because wow. ten years she ago she was her, yeah. yeah. So but anyways, so it's a killer number, yeah. and she performs the hell out of it. So I feel like they take that and they move it later in the movie because hey, let's put our showstopper later in the movie. Mm-hmm. But that completely ruins the arc when that's supposed to be our introduction to the interior life of this woman.
1: Mm.
2: We we learn for the first time, we get to see who she is, what is fueling all of her decisions and struggles and questions, everything that she is wrestling with back and forth all come up in this song that is meant to set us up to pay attention to her as she Mm -hmm. goes throughout the rest of the musical. Now, after Paciencia y Fe, after we've heard that this woman, who is the pillar of her community that everyone leans on, that everyone relies on, is struggling internally with her weird relationship with her mom before her, that now carries weight into... Every next scene that we see her in, even if she doesn't speak, even if she comes in just to give someone a pat on the shoulder, or even if she is sitting there listening to Sunny arguing one point and Usnavi arguing another point and trying to take it all in, we see them looking to her for guidance, and we see her bearing the weight of that. And that is such a huge loss, I think, for this movie, and that's where the sole gut punch is for me, because... If we learn about all of that in the moment of her death, we lose out on learning why this person really mattered. Yeah. Right? Like we get a snapshot of her and the effect for me at least was one of like, ah, we're we're filling in the tapestry of the community a little bit. Yeah. Cool. As opposed to drawing the line of generations through this community, when Usnavi starts to starts to struggle and make his decisions about the shot, that's directly tied back to Paciencia y Fe, which we still have memories of because it was such a showstopper back in Act One, mm-hmm. um, and we lose we lose all of that now. I also have to say that they also cut the song that is the gut punch for me which is everything i know mhm and everything i know oh, wow. is, is a song after abuela claudia dies we find nina which they actually they they show nina sort of in in a moment after uh her death in the movie but in the show it is it is a full song where they are going through boxes and the boxes are filled with memories from their childhoods. It's filled with all of the like English papers that Nina was working on that Abuela Claudia couldn't understand or read, but just said, you know, you teach me, tell me everything you know, and encouraged her even when she didn't have the capability herself to to know that. Uh, or to 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 be able to engage with that in another way, all she had was there was love and support. Now, I'm going to acknowledge that the reason why this hits me so hard and the reason why I'm crying right now is because I, too, have a grandmother who grew up in La Vibora, who has told me on multiple occasions that when she passes, I will be inheriting boxes filled with all of the things that I ever gave her. In her entire life, so is it extremely biased and personal? Absolutely, but I think that that translates. I, th- I think that that translates and carries over because it's clearly, it's clearly an important story that is drawn from a place of truth for Lin mm-hmm. and Kiara, mm-hmm. and therefore becomes the heart and soul of that story. And back to that Facebook post we keep referencing, the only thing I I posted really was, I don't know why they would do Abuela Claudia dirty like that. Like, I I still, I cannot understand. A lot of their adaptation choices, I can kind of get what they were going for. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that one. I don't understand why they would cut her out like
0: that. I... Truly have so many things to say. I feel like I'm like vibrating in terms of like, what do I respond to next? Uh, first of all, I will say, Tay, in addition to that, in, in addition to everything I know reflecting like your very specific lived experience, that is not at all my lived experience. And I find that song just as emotional. So I think that speaks to the way the show can be both so hyper specific in what it's exploring and also simultaneously very universal because that song absolutely destroys me as well. There's a part where she says she saved everything she saved everything we gave her every little scrap of paper and our lives are in these boxes while the woman who held us is gone like it's it's a beautiful culmination of claudia's arc because she is like a very tragic character right like her whole life is just sad and she doesn't feel fulfilled by it and she's regrets in a a lot of even if she understands why her mom needed to move them to new york she sort of like regrets that that happened and and you feel like she has questions as to whether her life was meaningful and it's really only in that song where it's Nina looking through her things that you really get just how meaningful her life was oh. because everyone in this whole community is her family and her children and yeah. like it's and it was so important that she came to New York because she was able to raise like an entire block and then simultaneously it's the culmination of Nina's arc which is that Nina and again this is like a slight sort of a slight and both a, both a slight and a major adaptation change which is that in the stage show Nina drops out of school because she has been working two jobs to try to help pay for her books and stuff. And then she, her grades slip because of that and she loses her scholarship. So she's not able to pay. And so she dropped. And then also, she also mentions like, It was just a culture of rich people. There's a really funny line where she's like, oh, I had to learn a new language at Stanford. Like weekend means going to ski in Aspen and a place means a mansion. Like there's this whole language of like just a different culture she doesn't understand. Whereas in the movie, I think that they make it much more specifically about like racism and microaggressions and They sort of cut the idea of her grade slipping. It's more of a cultural and communal. She feels like she doesn't have a community in Stanford. And so everything I know, the song and the stage show, is the culmination of Nina realizing, like, actually studying, being in school is a cornerstone of my identity. Like, this is what Claudia did every day. I would come here after school and she would, like, test me on my stuff. And she could barely write her name, but she was ensuring that I got an education. And that informs Nina's decision to go back to school and sort of, like, continue following that part of her identity. And I think sort of because they changed Nina's arc, they felt like maybe that song no longer fit. Although like you take, this is the adaptation choice I find the hardest to wrap my head around because when I first found out that Nina's mom wasn't going to be in the movie, I was like, oh, they must be doing that so that her relationship with Claudia is, feels even more monumental so that when that song happens, we're even more emotional by it. And instead, they just don't have that song, and I really find that strange.
2: Yeah, they they replace it with with the the embroidery and mm-hmm. the the that that quote about um little 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 details. Of, little details of or, or little moments of dignity and grace or, or something. I like did that like that, right?
1: that line, like appreciating glass coke bottles. Oh, I was like, it's a great like line. That line, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't
2: cohere for me in the same way and my my experience watching I was I mean I was so invested and and just in the movie and I kept waiting for Paciencia y Fe to come in and it didn't and then when the blackout happened and Paciencia y Fe came and I watched that which I actually I I kind of don't like how mm. busy I I don't like how busy the staging of that song is in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I and I recognize that in the musical, they also have sort of the ensemble comes on in in strange sort of uh like uh, uh 40s. Yeah, yeah. They, 40s they all outfits. have like white, white, ghostly sort of costumes that are also kind of calling back to like Wayavera stuff and whatever. Um but it's so much easier with a stage and a spotlight and someone parking and barking at you to focus on that individual. Mm. And I I kept being like no stop stop moving for stop moving for a second please yeah. let me see her face let me just take this in for a second and they keep obscuring her with the with the train and with other dancers and the camera loves the dancers But in that moment, I'm like, no, it's not about you. I don't care if you're supposed to be the manifestation of the memory. Let me see her. Let me take her in. And as it was going on, you know, it was that slow dawning realization of like, oh, no, this is there that she dies now. Why? But we just met her. Why? 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 And from that point forward, I had a really really hard time keeping my emotional investment as high like I wanted to still feel it right like I wanted I was open to it I was like yes hurt me wound me I'm I'm in let's do this um and and it just never came and I was like wow maybe maybe I'm broken maybe the problem is me and I Pulled out my phone right after the movie was over, and I played everything I know, and was immediately a puddle of tears on the mm-hmm. floor, like immediately. And I was yeah. like, "Oh, this wasn't me." <laughs> I'm
1: right. This okay, is, Ned, yeah. can
0: you please like ground us as a person who was like, what was your take on Abuela Claudia just mainly from the movie? Because I feel like again, Tay and I have like no perspective on this movie as a I, movie. I mean, I,
1: I found impossible. I found the attention given to her. When there was attention given to her, I found it powerful. I totally see what you're saying about that number tay, although I I definitely responded to the design choices. And I liked what the how the ensemble was directed through a lot of this movie. In fact, a lot of my favorite moments are sort of ensemble moments, whether they be big musical numbers or like or like like big stage dances or um little montagey moments. Uh because it does but it feels like she is almost like – she functions almost as – instead of one of the central cast, she functions almost as like the, the the central face of this larger chorus of just like Washington Heights denizens that we see. And I do like the way that we see a lot of little details. I think one the moment that I am sort of referring to in the past minute is um, in – I think it is in the opening song, In the Heights – where they show you just lots of lots of people, not beautiful dancer people, but just people working in yeah. kitchens. The janitor, sort of like wistfully looking out a window as he. I love I love that scene. But
0: who was a real janitor or a? Real, oh, really? I watched some video where Lynn said that he was like the maintenance guy for that building oh. where they had been filming, and then John Chu was like, "Hey, do you want to just stand here and like have this room and look out wistfully?" Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. He was like he was like helping. He was just there. To help them get into and out of rooms like he was there opening and unlocking
1: for them. And then they and they wow. tossed them in. Okay, that's wild. That's sweet. wild that you're saying that because, because that totally I'm like, what are some of my favorite shots in the movie? I love that, Jen, There's just something about that No, moment. Lin said
0: that too. He was like, it's my favorite moment. And it was just the thing that John Chu was just like, hey, let's just film this real that
1: quick. That actually is great because... I have seen commentary about, I feel like I'm transitioning this to another issue without finishing my point on Abuela Claudia, but, but I've seen commentary back. about this idea. We've definitely, besides the sort of uh, the most frequently discussed uh, issues of colorism in the movie, there's also a discussion of whether or not what it is what it is to make a movie about a neighborhood except it's the like extremely toned beautiful makeup version of those mm-hmm. people and i think it varied from scene to scene because there are certain there are certain scenes where you're like oh everyone is a like a six pack abs professional dancer but i do really like moments like in the in the heights where you actually are seeing people there's a few extras in certain moments like the other people who work at the at the at uh, um, Rosario's, and tell mm-hmm. Benny that he's thirsty. Uh, like these little moments where you see people <laughs> with like like normal people bodies instead of the bodies yeah. of professional good lookers like actors and models. Um, but I would say that functionally, Abuela Claudia sort of feels like she is the leader of the that of the of like the chorus of the neighborhood, rather than a character who functions. I think it's pretty clear that what the movie is most interested in is really these these four people in two couples with some attention to Sonny and some attention to uh, Kevin Rosario.
0: And... I I I always forget his name is Kevin, and I laugh. For some reason, I just laugh every time they say, especially when Benny's just like randomly being like, hey, Kevin, I'm like, this is both your boss and your girlfriend's dad. Like, what a casual way to... <laughs> just
1: because Kevin just has like a bunch of guys that we went to like middle school with. I don't know.
0: Sure. And also just like, I don't know. I can't imagine just... I guess I do call my bosses by their first name, but I can't imagine just going to their house and be like, hey, Kevin, what's yeah. up?
1: <laughs> so I felt, to answer your question of about 10 minutes ago, yeah. I, I felt like... Uh, abuela claudia had a, a a personality that shone through but she was much more like oh just the face of these the figures who populate this town and sort of like you know um shorthand sympathetic old person like i think of how in the movie baby driver he's got like a an old man that he's looking after that he's, you know, he Mm -hmm. does it all for that guy, except that guy's not really a character. He's just a shorthand for like a sympathetic person that our main character is sort of, uh, somewhat responsible for. And so I think these sort of betoken a direction of the movie to be especially concerned with beautiful young people, Mm -hmm. which is also probably connected to some of its, some of the issues that have drawn, sort of widespread yeah. criticism
0: yeah well let's transition into that a little bit too because we definitely wanted to acknowledge that one of the big conversations i think the initial reaction to this movie was just very positive critical reaction and then like maybe a week or so after that there was this big conversation that was started by um the website the root uh from one of it, it would have been a topic before but there was sort of interviews where it was brought up more explicitly which is this issue of colorism which if you don't know is this idea that there can be Um, In addition to, like, prejudice or discrimination that an entire group can experience within that group, there can be different levels of prejudice or discrimination, usually favoring people with lighter skin over darker skin. You see this in pretty much every ethnic and racial group. Um, It's a conversation I think I first heard a lot about of when Lupita Nyong'o was really breaking onto the scene, and I think Viola Davis was... A big commenter of pointing out, you know, a lot of times the black actresses that are allowed to succeed in Hollywood are those with lighter skin and that she was really saying, I hope Lupita gets that same opportunity because someone with darker skin is not often given that. And so the big conversation around In the Heights is that this is a very, almost everyone in this movie and all the main characters have very light skin tones, even though they're all Latino, Latina, Latinx. Um, They're not representing specifically like the Afro-Latina. Afro-Lati- Afro-Latina, Latino community, which is also a big part of the Dominican Republic in particular. Um, and so, well, and, yeah. And, there and was specifically just... that
2: diaspora in Washington Heights. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. So there are kind of like, I would say, if this is a thing that I think it, if you're not steeped in this thing, maybe you could hear these conversations and be like, oh, people are being too picky. They're being too specific. I don't understand when people are bringing up these issues. But I guess two things I want to frame As to why this is so important is because I think that this movie, In the Heights, more so than most movies, is really trying to be like, we're celebrating an entire community. Like, most movies are not like, let's celebrate an entire diverse community and shout out all these countries. So the movie is setting a high bar for itself in terms of representation. And then like you mentioned, Tay, it is very specifically set in this Washington Heights neighborhood, which is a very, has a lot of Afro-Latinos- from the Dominican Republic. And so I think the movie is almost saying, like, let's use Washington Heights as a sort of an abstract space where we can represent the general Latino community. You can talk about Latinidad in all of its yeah. many
2: flavors and colors and this and that. It's like, okay, yeah, but you're telling us it's Washington Heights. You're telling you, you have told us that this is specifically this small community this small neighborhood and and you know that that root interview that you're referencing that's going around is oh it's so it's so painful it's cringy cringy. it's so painful well this
0: was also part of the thing that really escalated the problem was that the in addition to the movie not doing well with its representation of the diversity of the last next experience, the cast and crew and director were clearly not prepped to respond to this question, which I think was also concerning for a lot of people. This was also a conversation that came up around Crazy Rich Asians, only sort of representing one very specific type of Asian person, and not sort of the diversity of the Asian experience. And I think people were very disappointed. I mean, to be fair, I, if you've cast the movie like this, I don't quite know how you would answer in a way that would satisfy people, to be honest. But even within those standards, they did not do a good job of Responding to this very justified critique, which I think really made this even uh, it drew this uh, more attention to this from a wider array of people.
2: You know, you're talking you're talking about, or, or you were just saying about like, oh, well, we didn't they, they they didn't succeed in in showcasing the diversity of Latino people or whatever. I I mean, I think looking at the movie, you go, wow, you do actually have a diversity of Latino people. And that kind of is the project of In the Heights, but that comes into very stark conflict and dissonance when you're also saying this is an accurate representation of this very specific community, Mm -hmm. which is Afro-Dominican. And that's not a problem that starts with In the Heights, the movie or its casting. Um, That problem, I mean, the original Broadway cast of In the Heights was way wider than, yeah. than in the Heights, the movie was, and I'm sure I'm not sure I shouldn't speak for anyone, but it feels like they were ready to like pat themselves on the back, yeah, that, you know that Nina is is actually, although I think I mm-hmm. think technically she's Puerto Rican in the I story think she is.
0: Yes, yeah, she. Well, yeah, the that's actress the thing, is, is Afro Dominican.
2: Yes, is is lighter skin Afro Dominican, but is Afro Dominican. And one of the one of the things that folks are talking about that is so cool in the movie is stylistically we see her hair change over the course yeah. of the movie back to sort of like natural curly styles. Amazing, incredible. So they were like, oh, we're we're gonna pat ourselves on the back for that. But I think that is absolutely. A thing that they should have expected to hear that if you're gonna get onto a national stage and say we are representing Washington Heights, but we don't look like Washington Heights, yeah. Yeah, you're gonna catch some flack for that, dudes. Like, come
0: on. And I think that they I th- The idea that they were like, we oh, we weren't expecting this in a way I think is a little bit disingenuous because I think you're right, Ned, that the way they cast the extras, the way they were like, let's show some little families getting ready in the morning who aren't main characters, but we're just painting a portrait. I do think they were purposely making those people very diverse and, like you're saying, take kind of banking on the fact that like putting in essentially background players of a diverse experience...
2: And let, I mean, enough. let's let, let's be clear. We're not we're not talking about diverse here. We're talking about black. We're talking about black, and we're yeah. talking about darker skin tones, yeah. right? Like the movie is diverse, and I think what folks are arguing is like actually the 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 diversity that you're trying to represent is not representative of yeah. this very specific
0: community. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just say, if you are well, anyone. I was going to say specifically a white person. But if, if you were, like, having a hard time wrapping your mind around this, like, even this idea of Afro-Latino, I think it's because it's a, it's a group of people that are often erased in Hollywood in particular. Totally. So it's actors like Gina Torres or Rosario Dawson, actually Tessa Thompson, um, Jarrell Jerome, who was great in Moonlight and When They See Us. These are all people who are Afro-Latino who frequently just get cast only to play their black identity. So there are a lot of people that exists in Hollywood. They just are not allowed to like represent the entirety of themselves. And actually Gina Torres was a big, like wonderful voice in sort of, discussing In the Heights in a way that I think was both celebratory of what the movie does and also, you know, constructive in its criticism of what it doesn't. So if you're if you're having, like, these are just actors you can look up if you're like, I don't understand this category of person. Like, it's because Hollywood has sort of hidden it from you or denied people's full identities because they want to put people into, this is what a Latino looks like, this is what a Black person looks like. There's no room for people to have multiple identities. Well, and
2: this is, well, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes it's not even about multiple identities it becomes multiple identities because of the weird way that race is kind of constructed in america where it's like very very um uh um reductively like there's black and then there's white and then we kind of have to figure out these other categories for people who don't fit into that um and and i think one of the one of the things that that clicks for me that helps me to understand it mm-hmm. even un, even understanding my own identity right is what what you're actually overlapping are colonial histories mm-hmm. right yeah. so if you envision the history of america and you're thinking about like okay well we're a nation of immigrants people were brought over as slaves people came over from other countries for x y and z reason okay great 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 In Latin America, you have similar parallel histories. You have indigenous folks living on the islands before anyone gets there. You have European settlers who, sure, maybe majority happen to speak Spanish, but are still white Europeans coming over with black African slaves and all of that turning into its own sort of mixing melting pot over generations and generations so then you have those communities coming over to the U.S. and people are like we don't know what to do with you you uh, speak Spanish but you're also black I don't Mm -hmm. how does this function it's like because Latino, Latinx, whatever you want, Hispanic, whatever you want to call it, is not a race. It's not a race category. It's it, You're talking about people's ethnicities with their own complex race histories woven into that. So yeah, all of that is going to get stirred up when you're making a massive motion picture that is trying to feature Latinidad in all of its complexity and cannot do that. And arguably i i think made a huge (laughs) misstep in not taking the opportunity that they had to really push that forward with their leads yeah
0: yeah
1: to say like oh we weren't really prepared for this or we didn't really like think to do this i'm trying to i think actually i think we've actually all already made the point that like what we are not saying is like shuffle, like shut this movie off to the side. Like it's a piece of crap. Forget it. Because there are all these things that it does accomplish that no other movie has accomplished so far. It's just going to have to be this really big, like all eyes on me moment when you have so few movies even like raising the possibility. I mean, nobody's having like, what else came out? These year, like, like Cruella or I don't know, Godzilla versus Kong. Nobody's having these conversations about that. You have an extremely high pressure moment, but yeah, I I do also think to when you talk about like the how painful it is to watch that particular I think her name is Feliz Leon with the with the root having that conversation. It is so cringe inducing, but it is this kind of thing that I just have to like. There are these seminal moments when I think back over the past ten years, when honestly. It was probably, like, around the time I was in college, so starting 10, 12 years ago, that I had my sort of, like, whole, I don't know, like, way of thinking expanded on so many, so many social, political, gender, racial, ethnic issues. There are these great touchstone moments of, like, good, awkward, where I just had to live in someone sort of, like, uncomfortably bringing me to something – uh, and I, it reminds me of a time when I was in a Q and A, when in college I was in a very lovely, very dear to me, but all white production of, uh, The Little Prince, which mm-hmm. I think it's crazy to track like 10 years ago, an all white production was so common. There has been a shift at least in, I would say like, for instance, a Chicago mainstream theater Community That now to do an all-white cast is a statement. It used to be that including non-white people was a statement and the, the thing is flipped. But so at the time, I hadn't thought of this as being an all-white production until someone in the audience during a Q&A was like, why did you not? Didn't you feel? It was very similar questions to the ones that uh, Felice Leon was asking John M. Chu. I mean, divorced from the specificity of the situation. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually, you know, it wasn't the same thing you're talking about, Tay, of saying we are going to represent a particular community and then just in point of fact failing to do that. But it was the broader question of, didn't you think that creating a show like this, in that case, which is going to reach so many children and like, help inform, like, very, very, very young people's worldview? Didn't you think it was important to take the opportunity to, like, sh- represent people of color and, like, show that they can be a part of this type of storytelling? And and uh, being asked that question in the Q&A is, like, the the room, like, the air goes out of the room, and I wasn't being asked that question directly to answer it. I think the answer that was given was... Sort of similar to John M. Chu's, like, well, it's a very good question. It's a very good thing. We had to choose the best people for the roles, but you know, these are conversations that should keep on happening. It is that is kind of like that. That kind of, as you say, like, what what could have been the answer? Like, oh, I actually regret casting this one person who's in a movie I'm now promoting. Right. The that's kind of the 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 best spin you're going to be able to give, because if that. If we can just take that concept of like a a meritocratic mer- meritocratic casting decision at face value, then it's kind of unassailable because it it takes something totally. Sub- how is how is that unassailable? That's the most that's the most
2: saleable. What? That's as saleable as what? a as a ves- as a sea vessel. What I'm saying. What? <laughs> what I'm saying is
1: it's unassailable in the sense that. Uh, I mean, I I propose to assail it, but uh, to but <laughs> it's unassailable in the sense that if you talk about casting the best people for the roles like it is a an objective reality out of your hands, then you you remove it from this whole colorist or racist uh, framework. But it
2: is a you're purely putting it right. You're putting it right into that racist framework. You're saying there was no one of color. Who 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 merited the part? Well, if, that that is what is racist about that. Are statement. you saying Ned
0: that the framework itself is the lie that people fall back on? Yes.
1: What I'm what I'm what I'm saying is, if you say we opened the we opened the floor, and you know somebody does specifically say like, yeah, there were many Afro Latinos in consideration for those roles. If you say we opened the floor, we saw everyone, and then based on an untouchable, outside-of-my-control metric of who was just best for the part, we happen to end up with these people who happen to all be white-passing or light-skinned. And the sort of problem with that is that casting is entirely subjective, and people who do casting, people who are actually making these decisions, totally live within a system of white supremacy where these... White supremacist like beauty ideals will will be affecting their if if they don't specifically seek to acknowledge, think about and then counter those that ingrained white supremacist idea then you're then you're going to it's going to be revealed in who you think is best for the role and then you're going to say, i don't know I just I just made the decision on an individual basis this is just who we ended up with yeah. Um
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's also I mean it's it's also I obviously like like you're describing that, you know, that kind of in insidious sort of uh bias, uh colorist bias, racist bias or whatever is is part of it. But I think there's also uh, plenty of of enclave kind of stuff going on too where it's like you want to they they are trying to create a show about ultimately at the end of the day about family, mm-hmm. about community. And so, I mean, I this is pure speculation on my part, but the folks that they cast felt like their community, felt like their mm-hmm. enclave, their family, their people who they are around, you know? Yeah. And and I think that that absolutely comes into it in and exactly like you're saying that like you got got to actually make a concerted concerted effort to step outside of that i think i suspect i don't know but i suspect that it would not be as egregious if it wasn't so specifically we are trying to represent this community mm-hmm. yeah you know because it is though these are faces like that crew of 4 on the cover on the on the banner on HBO Max yeah. those are faces that the the general mainstream white audience of America is not used to seeing as the leads mm-hmm. in their movies True. so that absolutely groundbreaking and i had a, a friend from high school taking me to task for complaining about the movie on facebook because she was like can't you just take a second to admit and acknowledge how groundbreaking this is it's like yeah but you're breaking ground by also repeating some of the same mistakes that have been made over and over and over again yeah. and do we really want to push ourselves forward Forward by co-opting and using the exact same systems and racist systems that we are like. Do we want to just inherit that, or do we want to break that open and leave the door open for everyone in our community? So it's complicated as hell. Like,
1: is it enough to say we made groundbreak? We 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 made major steps forward in this area, this area, and this area. So we got a lower score in this thing and this thing. There's a sort of like a, no. there's a, <laughs> no. I mean, but like, can you just say yes or no to the question of like, is it enough? Like even that is that like the question, is it enough is going to oversimplify it into something that could be decidable through like a binary, like yes or no, it was good or it wasn't good. And there's a sort right. of a metacriticism issue here, which is where I'm sure I, I've heard a lot of, there's, there's lots of people, particularly Latino people who are so, so, amped to see this movie having such a deeply emotional reaction to it and are saying, you know, I've had people, I've I've spoken to a few people, Latino people who are like, I'm sick of white people coming up to me and asking me if I'm pissed off about the colorism. Like, let me just, let me just have my moment. And it's it's like one of the celebrity commentary moments of this was, this was in a piece with Rita Moreno, obviously, like yeah. one of the.
2: Rita! Rita, one of the most
1: significant uh, Latina entertainment figures of the 20th century saying like, can't we just like have our moment? Can't you just wait a while? And then I think she was fairly criticized by saying like, wait how long? You know, because wait a while is always the conversation because so few people are like violent, violent uh, reactionary. that Like the proportion of people who are saying like, death to all people of X group, pale in comparison to the maybe quote-unquote well-meaning people are saying, like, I completely agree with you, like, in time, just wait a while. That's just like a an anti-progressive, like, refrain throughout the ages. But obviously, I understand the frustration in a overwhelmingly white-dominated movie landscape that's saying, like, why are we... Why are we being, like, kneecapped? Like, shouldn't we just be doing anything to get more people to the box office for this so that we will get more movies like this? And it's a total paradox. And, and like, it's not a randomly occurring paradox. It's a paradox that occurs over and over again throughout history where multiple uh, oppressed groups or identities are triangulated against each other by a, a, a third force oppressing both of them because it's, like, to create this, like, this scarcity where the the discourse to promote this movie and more films with, like, leads, leads of color of any non-white ethnicity, the movement to pursue that goal is now being forced to come into clash with a movement to actually demand, like, true parody for some of the groups who have been seen even less than almost never you know
0: i will say here too um lin-manuel issued an apology for this on twitter which at least to me read like a genuine apology obviously the best case scenario is that mistakes are not made but i think the next best case scenario is that when mistakes are made people genuinely acknowledge them and strive to do better in their next project so i think this is a good chance to sort of hold lin accountable to see what he does from here um and i also just want to say like both kudos and thank you to the people that brought this issue up and brought it into the culture. Obviously, the three of us are not experts. We can't speak to this from the specific, you know, point of view of an Afro-Latino person. So I will link in our show notes some of the articles and discussions that were helpful for the three of us having this conversation so that if you want to read more of those firsthand perspectives, you can. Because I think, and I think a lot of those people that brought up this critique did a really wonderful job of taking this movie to task and also holding space for the things that this movie does well, which is like a difficult conversation to have. And I think, yeah, there's just a lot of really great writing out there. Especially in the age of outrage. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll link to some of those pieces in our show notes. Thanks,
2: Caroline.
1: Yeah. Thank you for, I'm saying thank you for doing that because even though I have the podcast intensity to try to build to some sort of point, I will not be able to give any sort of definitive there's there's no this. solution. There's no pronouncement that that can be made or would even matter for me, a podcasting white guy. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. But like you know, calling calling on people to do better is fair. Yeah, for calling yeah, on people to, to do better is fair. And and I think like like y'all are saying, you know, it's it's hard knowing knowing the fickle beast that Hollywood is to go like, oh man, even when we take a chance on a minority led major project and we've got you know folks who are from that community from that neighborhood it's still gonna get ripped to pieces Mm -hmm. by like yeah i can understand why that is that is a hard pill to swallow and at the same time fair criticism
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) it's a fair criticism
0: Well, this okay. So this is sort of related to that, and also somewhat of a transition. So there's a there's an interesting. I think it's an IndieWire article that sort of talks about the lengthy process to get this movie made, and how Lin Manuel really had a difficulty like pitching it in a way that Hollywood executives could like understand and relate to. And he actually credits John M. Chu with with coming in and a pitch that made the movie happen. And they don't get into too many details about like what the exact pitch is but the sense i've gained from what i've read is that maybe this idea of dreams sueños which is like central to this movie i almost wonder if that was key to the pitch because this is another like subtle adaptation difference to me the the stage musical is about community and specifically about the idea of home and where is your home and if you have you know if you are a child of immigrants or if you lived in a different country and you immigrated yourself like where do you call home? And I think the movie is about dreams and like, what are your dreams? And I actually think a lot of the weirdness of the adaptation we're talking about in the idea of like, the movie tries to say like, Usnabi's dream is his dad's bar. So let's make that central to his arc. And I think that then it's like okay, well, they're going to give Vanessa a dream, and her dream will be fashion design, and exactly, and they're trying to give everyone Sonny literally as a dreamer, like you know that whole that whole
2: arc, which I which I'm actually really glad that they incorporated into the movie. But this is where this this that you're bringing up, Caroline, is exactly where I'm like ah, here I can see actually the evolution of perhaps I don't know who we can ascribe it to, but my guess, my speculation is the evolution of Kiara's interest Mm -hmm. and purpose with the film, because that feels like a specific statement and an ad that is not an adaptation, but that is an ad to the story that is coming from, okay, if we're going to tell this story 10 years later, if we're going to tell this story post Trump presidency, what are we going to do with it? That furthers the conversation beyond these ongoing discussions that we're having about gentrification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. I'm 100% with you.
0: Yeah. The dreamer storyline. That's another addition, as you say, from the stage show. Sunny doesn't really have a super strong arc um on stage but he so he has like one
2: moment in carnaval el barrio yeah. oh no in Ninety Six Thousand rather uh where he you know makes he he makes his big rap about being an activist mm-hmm. and then kind of yeah. gets like shut down by vanessa like oh you're cute and then yeah. <laughs> we like shove
0: him aside um, but here so we I... we
2: get to see him and nina at a protest
0: yeah. yes so here's my i think on paper all those ideas are great My problem this is similar to what we were saying about, like, they made changes, but they didn't change the lyrics to reflect them. They made these changes and additions, but the changes and additions do not have songs to support them because the songs are related to separate arcs. And I think in a musical, you want your big emotional moments to have a song to button them. So in the movie... It's Nina finding out about Sonny's undocumented status that is the thing that motivates her to go back to Stanford more than anything else. But there's no song there to represent that, right? Like that in the stage show, it's everything I know because she has a slightly different arc. To me, what this movie needed, if you're going to change everybody's arcs, if you're going to make Vanessa and Usnavi the main couple, they need to have the songs. But what the movie did was like in dialogue, let's make them the main couple, but keep Benny and Nina having all the romantic songs. And they said, okay, let's make Sonny's status, undocumented status, be the thing that motivates Nina, but let's not give her a song that drives that home. And I think that's why, especially the second half of this movie, gets weaker for me. Or the same thing about Vanessa's dreams to be a fashion designer. That's a thing they add in the script, but there's not really a song to support it. So they have to just sort of like, she just has a display of her clothes song, at the right. end. And that's just sort of like, oh, okay, there's really nothing in the like musical text to support this. And even at the end, like, there's a line where, where, Usnavi something like, you know, boiler. you wanted me to go, but I'm staying here and I'm telling your story. But again, the images are Vanessa's clothes. So it's like the images are telling us he's staying because of Vanessa, but the lyrics are telling us he's staying because of Abuela Claudia. And there's like a disconnect there. And that I think is where a lot of the weirdness, I think the weirdness comes from, let's make Usnavi the protagonist, which is not the structure of the show. And then let's make the theme dreams, which is also not the point of the songs. And to me, where there's disconnect, it's usually coming from one of those two things.
2: It also feels like, and this is kind of bringing in a, a separate but related issue, but it also feels like they, they've gone out of their way to be very specific, very careful about what images they're showing and how they are portraying the community,
1: mm-hmm. which
2: which I think is generally a good thing, right? And that was always part of the project of In the Heights, right? You have Lin-Manuel talking about... You know, I wanted to create a show where we weren't just the thugs and the gangsters, where we weren't, you know, the dude on the street corner, but where we were the dude inside the corner who was running the business because that's actually what I see is I see folks who I, I see that everybody has a job and everybody has a dream, right? The lyric from the show. So that's always been part of it. But it's been taken, it's been cranked up a notch. Probably, because of the times and because of the much larger stage that this movie is on, and there are things that get that you that get removed that I think hurt those arcs. So you want to talk about how there is no longer a subplot of um of Kevin mm-hmm. <laughs> of Nina's dad um having some friction with Benny. Because there is colorism and there is racism in the yeah. Latino community, right? And yeah, so- in the
0: show, he is both. He sort of treats Benny like family, but also draws a clear limit of "you're not Latino, you're not actually my family, and I don't really want you to date my daughter." I don't want, want you to date my daughter. Racism and Ryan. classism <laughs> and like everything mixing up into this, like, and and that ties very in subtle and not spelled out it's so and subtle not resolved
2: which, arc it's, it's it's so subtle and i think it's so well i i think it's so well done because there are also it also helps make sense of benny's frustrations at work mm-hmm. right yeah. benny's big arc is like i've been working here i've been putting in the hours and i i work harder i am i am learning the fastest of anyone here like i should have gone up i should have sort of graduated from my lowly position at this place and kevin is happy to have him around right he's not a racist but at the same time his upward mobility has been limited and also we get to see from kevin's point of view like he's under a whole bunch of crazy financial pressures like no he is not Trump he is not like the rich businessman who can just hand out opportunities to people that he selects at at will but all of that complexity is completely dulled and stripped out of the movie for just like 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 that scene where they come together to um to help during the blackout manage mm-hmm. the I'm like, where is this coming from? We haven't yeah. actually seen any friction between these two people. Yeah. It's the resolution of an arc that we didn't get the first act of. What, uh, what's yeah. happening here? So you but have that. You have during the blackout, um, very specifically- way during more the, intense. During the blackout, there are looters. In, in the Broadway Sunny show? Sunny Sonny and Graffiti in Pete. The, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sonny and Graffiti Pete, their whole thing during the blackout is they need to protect the store from looters and we get to see- sunny who has kind of been like a layabout nothing like yeah he shows up to work but whatever yeah. he's just kind of goofing around and graffiti pete who specifically has been tagging this yeah. place mm-hmm. come together to protect it because they're like yeah they know shoot what off the this...
0: fireworks to protect the oh. bodega not just to only to light the streets right out in the show is like the most intense like great like act one closer like everything is chaos and it The movie makes it a little gentler, but I like love the intensity of the stage version.
2: And I understand. And here's the thing. I understand those adaptation choices. Mm -hmm. I can completely understand why in 2021, you don't want a movie that shows uh, looters being (laughs) a a threat that we're dealing with, even though. That is likely something during a blackout that would be going yeah. on that people in would have to deal community. with. Mm. In
0: any community, in any community, I think community. they were about that this would be like, oh, in a Latino community, everything is chaos. No, in literally any community right. in a blackout, things would be chaos. Would be that chaos. Reflect- and what a
2: and what a fantasia they show us instead, where it's like it's a blackout, but what we're gonna do is we're just gonna like start breakdancing <laughs> with the lights and everything. Yeah. Do we
1: think that people. those two <laughs> decisions, what? the like the cutting of Kevin's racism and the cutting of his, religion, do you think those were both made in order to create? An idea of a, of just in order to dial up a sense of like solidarity and community in this, because they wanted to like quote unquote paint a positive portrait. Do we think that's the idea or do you think they just wanted to?
2: I think so. I, personally, I think that's true. I think that's also why they downplay Nina flunking mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Whereas it's made very ex- it's made very explicit that she flunked out. Her yeah, grades yeah. were poor, and that's why she's home. Is because she doesn't have a choice. There's no question about like, well, I decided not to go, or I deferred, or they're this and that, whatever they're doing in yeah. the movie. Instead, it's like, no, I flunked out. out. Like mm-hmm. things got bad, and I flunked out, which it's more painful. <laughs> also um, feel hits very close to home as someone who took an extra an extra year or two to graduate. Like that that idea of that culture shock and how that can affect you and affect your academic performance is a true thing. That's a real thing, and I can understand why they didn't want to show it. Vanessa's mom is alcoholic uh, in the in the stage play, and she's dealing with that. And they completely Which they cut kind that of graft onto
0: Sunny in an interesting way. I, it was interesting watching that bootleg and seeing like, oh, here's a little part that I didn't know that was in dialogue, and then they sort of right. give it to a different character in a way.
2: Yeah, and they go to great. I mean, also hold on, let's pause for a moment. Yeah. That or Mark, Mark Anthony, Anthony moment. That Mark. Oh my him. God, that was, I was like. like what's that my mind (laughs) he also looks so sickly like oh
0: yeah it was a shock it it just was was not i didn't realize he was in the movie and it was like i was like you're a very famous person to just be in this (laughs) but they go they go
2: they truly go out of their way to make sure that you know that this is this one dude's problem and part of the issue it feels like they're painting is that he has Removed himself from the community. Yeah, he's he isolated. is in a different world. He is isolated. His apartment is this cool color hellhole yeah. from which no light can enter or escape. And you feel during that scene that like if Usnavi could just get this guy to open up a little bit, or if he could get him out of his apartment, and if he could, if he could join in with the singing and the dancing, uh-huh. like you know you want Marquette to need to do everything would be great right like they Mm -hmm. go out of their way to do that and i feel like all of those adaptation choices were very pointed and very specific about like we are on a national stage now we need to be very careful about the image that we are projecting out to mainstream america yes
0: beyond the project of the musical being like let's present a fiddler on the roof style musical about a contemporary latino community i think beyond that the movie also has a lot of like sanitizing and sort of making things glossier. And I actually really see this reflected in the two female characters, which I kind of want to talk about it for a second. And maybe this can transition into talking about like the acting in general, which is like the ostensible (laughs) focus of our podcast. Um, But okay. So I think that both, I would, I don't want to say it's a problem with the performers themselves, but I think the way both Nina and Vanessa on, on stage Nina and Vanessa are just these two wonderful, very different very nuanced women characters. And in the movie, I just felt like, oh yeah, those are two nice, cute girls. Like, they don't really feel that different to me. They don't have a ton of personality. There's a certain Disney princess sheen on both of them. And I think they're almost interchangeable in a way. Like, it feels like you could switch the two actresses and it wouldn't really change that much about it, which I think is such a bummer because on the... So on stage, like, Nina's just like a nerd. Like, that's her whole thing as a nerd. Whereas in the movie... They really style Leslie Grace. That's who plays Nina. Yeah. They really style her like she's very hot. hot, Like, I don't like they she doesn't read as a nerd. And yes, that's very stereotypical to be like, nerds can't be hot. But like, okay, at some point in a movie, you have to be a little stereotypical to communicate your characters. (laughs) But it's like we first meet her and I guess they're trying to do this thing of like she was really glamorous in Stanford and she's sort of de-glamming throughout the movie. But it's like her first impression is like, ooh, a super thin, hot woman. Okay, yeah, that's I, I find now.
2: I find her pretty glam throughout the movie. Yes. She oh, almost very... gets more glam and I yeah. don't think that's that's unintentional. <laughs> but they're at
0: least trying to put her in like tennis shoes and like a cute jersey top. Yeah, I mean, she's she come she's come back from the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then Vanessa, I mean, okay, Vanessa on stage, like more and more I'm realizing that Karen Olivo as Vanessa Karen was like god tier casting. Oh, so in good. terms of like Vanessa is so grumpy she's so rude she's so intimidating like on stage the idea of Usnavi dating her is like insane you're like this you could never date this woman she, all the time like the line I love and and they don't give it to her in the movie but in 96,000 when they get the number she's just oh I never win shit and like she's so freaking grumpy everyone else is so excited like oh this happened and she's like oh I hate everything like this is horrible and then in the movie she's just like a nice Disney princess who dreams of being a fashion designer like it feels very... Very rom-com-y, very generic, like nice girl. And Usnavi is super hot. You're like, why would there why would these two people not want to date each other? They're very hot, confident, nice people. There's no like well, difference between and, them. And and, yeah. and
2: if you because if you follow that thread and if you think about the image they want to present, right? Vanessa's character arc and her her entire character, as you said, originally is built out of getting out of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we we see the neighborhood grating on her mm-hmm. right yeah. like we it's see it wearing her, her down whereas other folks are like this is my place this is my spot whatever it may be she's like i need to get out because like I this place is here. harming
1: yeah, me." right yeah. they're not doing that in the movie at all
0: no And it's just, I mean, I, I, okay, so I think Melissa Barrera has a beautiful voice. Like watching this, I was like, this girl went to musical theater school, and that is correct. She went to Tish. Like she sounds lovely. I want her to be in every movie musical. I think for what they're doing with Vanessa, it's a lovely Mm -hmm. performance. But I'm like, this is not the Vanessa I want. Like I, and again, maybe it's just maybe this is an uninteresting critique to just say make it more like the stage show. But I just think on stage, like Vanessa and Nina are these two incredible women, and and they're not really defined by their love, like. It's an interesting structure because it's like Nina and Usnavi are the two main characters, but they're not dating. So then their love interests are slightly less focused. But in trying to make like two romances, it like weirdly flattens it all out. And it's like, okay, Nina's only story really is about the romance and Vanessa's only story is about the romance. But there's, I don't know, I just think there's so much more interesting on stage. And I was, yeah, that was one of my big takeaways was just like a frustration with how both of them were presented.
2: Yes. Ned, we need to check in with you
0: again on our person that knows the stage show less. Keep us in check. Tell us if maybe none of these things bothered you at all.
1: I mean, I I honestly... uh, I don't know. I I feel like these days, sometimes what I most respond to in an on-screen relationship is just chemistry. And I would say that Mm -hmm. Vanessa... I'm sorry, what was her name? Melissa Barrera? Melissa Barrera, Melissa Barrera and uh, Anthony Ramos have wicked good chemistry of course you do you do make the point anthony ramos could have chemistry with a paper
2: (laughs) bag he He has enough he has enough like
1: charisma to cover the
2: entire it is it is
1: funny to observe the ways in which he is like a natural fit to succeed lin-manuel miranda and the ways in which he is a completely different type
0: Oh my god. Right. He's so cool and hot and Lynn is like the biggest <laughs> nerd that's ever lived. That's true. But I would argue, I would argue, I
2: think Anthony I think that is such an interesting story and actually is the the story that Lynn wants to tell with Usnavi. Is this someone sure. this person who is so cool and hot and collected and can spit out rhymes and can like hold his own in every
1: single category except when Vanessa yeah, shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah.
2: Yeah, that
0: is actually a good that's I thought a good they point. did
1: a good job of that. I thought I thought they they characterized the relationship well in that way. Uh, I love when he puts his little nose on the glass. That whole exchange. By the end, I was like, no, oh, it's just totally working for me. Um, I would say that they, I didn't have, I felt like a as clear an idea of what the central conflict would be in both relationships. I mean, actually, they don't really have much conflict between Nina and Benny, do they? It's just like, are no. we gonna get back no. together? Probably. And then they do. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. And then they ha- and then because there's no songs about conflict for Vanessa and Usnavi, they have to have that random scene where she's like, I'm just a nail technician. You could never yeah. love me.
1: Um Yeah, I-, I would say that sort of similarly. Because there was generally good chemistry and some nice, nice little moments that the I didn't come out dissatisfied with the vibes of those relationships. But now that we're of course just scrutinizing them for hours, I've met, I'm a little uh, more convinced. no, Tay, this is just there,
0: there. us making Ned like this movie less. That's what this podcast <laughs> is because.
1: No, no, I, I, it's fine. There,
2: I I hear exactly what you're saying, Caroline. And I also think that there's something about Vanessa. Vanessa's character and the way that she is positioned in the show you know everyone's catcalling her all the time and it feels like she's never going to leave the neighborhood and whatnot um that that does not graph onto Melissa Barrera mm-hmm. at yeah. all
0: <laughs> no, she, like she's so sweet and lovely and like warm and
2: frankly I do think that race comes into that too and I think that she's very white and very like pretty and pink princess and like that that is that is just the vibe that she reads it's something that works really well for her in her part in Vida where mm-hmm. that is the role mm-hmm. she is the one who is who is grappling with the fact that like she's not accepted by her community at home because she fits in so well in like mainstream white culture because she is like a skinny white latina yeah. Who Mm -hmm. can hop back and forth and then is wrestling with the fact that she kind of doesn't fit in either realm? Like, that Mm -hmm. feels like a very natural fit for Mm -hmm. her and not for Vanessa. When I originally saw the trailer, I thought Dasha Polanco was playing Vanessa. She would
0: be a wonderful Vanessa. And I was
2: so excited. And then she was in the movie, especially because I think the one clip that I saw was her teasing Usnavi at the beginning with the, like, I, Bobby. And then she, like, goes off. And I was like, oh, my God, what a great take on Vanessa. Like, if Vanessa is the one who's like, actually, I do. Because another big thing is, you know, Vanessa also doesn't realize that Usnavi is into her because he is such a goofball around her. And I was like, man, if this is going to be just vanessa teasing usnavi for an hour and a half before they get together i'm i'm into it i'm there this is yeah Yeah, you can go that way and and dasha polanco has a has a body that is maybe not the like mainstream white beauty standard but absolutely is the kind of beauty standard that in the barrio you're going to get whistled and catcalled at down the street make her sort
1: of a figure and i will say
0: just as a caveat obviously catcalling happens to everyone of every body shape because oftentimes it's about a power dynamic as opposed to any connection whatever i but i do agree that like on stage vanessa is very much styled as like the hot one but in this movie they kind of style every woman as the hot one so that being her personality is sort of like not there, but it's not really. I don't know. Her fashion designer thing just felt so vague. I also okay. I do maybe want. Maybe we can end on a note of like things we like, like you know, throwing out things we like. But before we do that, I want to throw out.
2: We didn't have our whole our whole piñagüero. Oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Okay. We have to have it. I just wanted to say, I find
0: because the stage show to me, and I guess the movie, it's so much about this community, this whole ensemble. That ending on like, and Vanessa and Usnavi had a daughter, and she's the future. It feels so like this is not to me a show about nuclear family being the key to everything. This is a show about like families come in all shapes and forms and your abuela doesn't have to actually be your abuela. And, you know, your sister doesn't have to be your sister, whatever. They're the people you love. And to be like, but all that matters is they had a child. I, I'm pretty sure that is a John M. Chu edition because he was I think he was having his kids were born during the process of working on the show. And that was something that was really connecting to him. And I get that as a director, you want to put some of your personality in. But I'm like, I feel like that was a little bit at odds with. I don't know I didn't need the end of this show to be a flash forward to them having a daughter and that's the key to everyone being mm-hmm. happy it's it's
2: also I mean again for me it comes back to structure and I think a lot of a lot of the narrative tension is ripped yeah. out of the show if you start off with him on the island and I know that they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because they're trying to Twist. subvert that and say like and his island was all here the whole time but they didn't actually get us invested in him caring about mm-hmm. the block because we see him on the island we're just watching we're just watching them trace the line from point A to point B and then you know they give you a little swerve at the end cool with, with that in place, it really makes it hard. I think to invest in a lot of the tension of the show because you think you know well, it how it ends. The whole show, so it makes it this weird pseudo. It makes it all you know. a flash,
0: flashback, which I think it just doesn't make it right. feel present. Even you know, even if there's a twist, Correct. it's just like, oh, okay. So what we're watching is now the past, and I guess it already happened. And yeah, it makes it feel less active. Okay. Here's what I want to do, Ned. Who's your standout performer from this movie? Who's who are you coming away just being like, oh, I love them. I can't wait to see more from them.
1: Gregory Diaz, obviously.
0: Our sonny, hundred percent. Yeah,
1: he's he's terrific. I mean, the scene where he uh, the scene where he asks Vanessa out on his sonny's behalf, and he's he, just, he goes into this voice that like they don't like overdo. He's just doing. Mm-hmm. You have a nice day. It's, I was yeah. losing it. <laughs> So freaking funny. <laughs> and I thought the guy, uh, whose name I don't know, but whoever played Sonny in the original was actually, I think it was...
0: Robin Jesus. Okay, so
1: I did Weed see him on stage. It was him and I guess presumably, as you said, Olga were the two sort of remaining original cast members. Um, and I thought he was so funny. So Gregory Diaz comes in doing his own thing, so he had to win me over, but he then did almost instantly. And of course, because I feel like... We just get a glimpse of him in this movie, and I'm like waiting to see his his start turn. It's also exciting to see someone who's young. Although how old is he? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Assume young. Yeah.
0: No, he's definitely young.
1: Okay, so it's it's he's exciting young. to see uh, someone that young. And uh, he's, 16 he's sixteen currently.
0: So he would have been. I mean, he honestly could have been like fourteen when he they filmed it.
1: Oh yeah, because of course it was COVID. It was years ago. Anyway, so it's exciting yeah. to see him and wonder. wonder years, and <laughs> years ago. Um, I didn't think anybody was bad in this movie. I mean, I, I liked, I liked yeah. the on- you know, uh, of, with, of course, the massive asterisk of like, see whole previous conversation about casting. Um, I thought that uh, I liked everybody's performances. I loved to see Jimmy Smiths and stuff. I thought he was good, although the character oh. was one of our best short. dads. I would have loved to see him do Inutil, but uh, so it goes. Um, yeah, I, I liked everybody. But if I had to pick my standout, it's going to be uh, Gregory Diaz. I Take mean, I told
2: stand-up. y'all ahead of recording yes. that I would do an entire podcast just talking about Gregory yeah, Diaz. Uh, he's great. He's so good. Um, that, that it, oh man, the way that he runs away with every single Scene. Anytime he is on screen, whether he is singing or rapping or in dialogue, mm-hmm. he gets dramatic stuff in this movie that that Sonny doesn't get in the stage musical, and he knocks it out of the park. He's uh, he's a tiny national treasure, and I come at that because not only do I love him in this, but I love vampires versus the bronx which anyone listening to this should go and watch immediately it's on netflix it features gregory diaz as like a funny sidekick to like a goonies style trio of kids who are fighting (laughs) vampires in their neighborhood and it is an utter delight uh and gregory diaz makes that all work i think um apart from that and apart from like specific oh yeah I'm, I'm trying to think, and I'm like, literally, every scene I can conjure in my mind with Gregory Diaz in, in it is my favorite part of the movie. But apart from that, um, I think Daphne Rubin Vega as Wonderland. Carla is a huge Daniela, get. Yes. Or Daniela, that's right. No, because Carla is Stephanie Beatriz, right? Mm-hmm. Also, a huge get for this movie. Yeah. Like, what yeah, wins? Really? Um,
1: for real. For real. I think
2: they I think they are they are standouts for me. Mm-hmm. I think Anthony Ramos, I mean, is is such a wonderful Usnavi. I I think he does things with that part that is better than Lynn, absolutely. Um mm-hmm. which I know we were supposed to end with positive things, but I was very I know that it's so fun and such a great in-joke. Like, hey, it's that guy we know from the thing. He wrote the thing as the Piragüero. But not having Eliseo San Roman's vocals on those tracks... His vocals are great. ...is hard. It's hard. He, In the same way that I believe that... um, that abuela as a character anchors the show and like provides the engine and the motor for the show and the heart and the soul of it. Eliseo San Roman's voice is the voice of those songs for me. Like he, his, because he it's so it's sometimes so subtle and you can still hear it. Like like sort in
0: the ensemble track, not in the
2: ensemble tracks. Not in the the
0: piragua guy songs
2: and in the and in the piragua guy song like if this is latino fiddler on the roof like he is the fiddler and when you switch over to lin-manuel as the fiddler his fiddle his voice is just not as good
0: it's definitely not as good but i do think this is the best lin has ever sounded i was actually very impressed with his vocals (laughs) in this film in particular maybe not the best anyone could sing (laughs) certainly not the best anyone could sing i loved him i thought everything about this was great i loved his number the idea of him and chris jackson just having a rivalry like casting chris jackson as the as the uh softy truck driver who he's the original benny if you don't know he's a george washington and hamilton they're real life best friends like everything about that was incredible lynn's little dad body dad bod when he's like dancing on the bus and dancing on the thing I thought it was perfect. I loved it so much. We'll just have to agree to disagree because you're not going to convince me that it wasn't good.
1: <laughs> oh, it's just funny that you say that he's the fiddler. I agree that that's what the Piragua guy like seems to represent in the... In the original show, as I recall. And he has he sings a couple of times in the original, right? Mm. Two or he three He has he has the, the
2: Piragua song and he has the reprise, which both made it into the movie, okay. albeit one is a post credit sting. And yeah, he this, if you is... don't know,
0: this movie has a post credit sting. So if you haven't seen it, get on your HBO before it goes off July eleventh and watch your little second. Lin appearance,
2: it's on YouTube. Let's be real. Oh <laughs> yeah, wait, sorry. Don't don't link. take me to jail. No, three strikes, um, pal. But yeah, no. He he he. Pretty much. He pretty much sings in every ensemble number, and like very specifically
1: is is cast vocally as like the mm-hmm. voice of the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Does sound structurally like you represent something like the fiddler and fiddler on the roof, although. I was getting major Tevya vibes from Lyndon Well's <laughs> yes. performance. He's, he's like got a beard and I, a rag and a cart. <laughs> yeah, he's pushing his cart. And and also when he goes on the bus, he's got he's got uh he's got salsa hips, but he's got Tevya on I'm telling you. And I had this I had this theory before you said that I didn't know that, that he had specifically referenced Fitter on the Roof in discussing this film. All I knew is the dude is a big, big big musical theater nerd so i'm like i just think i i don't think i'm crazy about this Tevya thing i think it's on purpose i think and i was maybe i was inclined to be sympathetic because i gave uh i gave win a a critical smacking around for mary poppins returns (laughs) just two episodes ago so i have to say i was he 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 charmed me in this i really uh i think this is kind of a like Adaptation compromises, because I think, Tay, I completely see what you're saying, and I think it actually, like, makes sense of the better way to do this. But I also think, structurally, and just uh, commercially, they want to work Lin-Manuel Miranda into this movie. The people love to see him on stage. The people love to see him. I think it's, it's the right—it's the right place to put him. I think if you think of it as a solution to the question of how do we get Lin-Manuel Miranda into this oh, movie— yeah. It and i think it's an mean, inspired so you won't you won't get you won't to... get any
2: you won't get any arguments from me there um i just here's here's the other thing coloring this a little bit is um eliseo san roman did a like a web series parody um that i forgot yeah. about
0: this i know you're so this? We're talking about yes 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 so yes. this so is back... real, like broadway nerd theater kid, super broadway
2: guys. nerd theater who who's the name of that guy who does oh these God. he's he's like now uh I'm forgetting he's a he's a music director and just yes, a yes, broadway yes, yes, yes. theater nerd he's like he is um, like the man in the TV chair show. yeah
0: what you keep talking you, you keep yeah, yeah
2: um so so he did this parody of the very popular at the time um like search for the next L Woods search for yes. the next um like leads in Greece whatever it was all of these like reality programs that were making a big reality show out of Broadway musicals and it was the yes. search for the next Beat and and so oh, they bring in fun. all of these people to Audition for the part of the Piraguero and Eliseo San Roman, who is like the one and only, shows up to defend his job essentially. Like he finds out on the day that his job is up for grabs if he cannot because of a
1: reality right show.
2: <laughs> and he's so good, it's so funny. Um, but he he has such a big personality and his his vocals can't be beat, and he so is that part for me that. Mm. Lin is for I, I, again no disagreements with anything that y'all said, but he's also very very restrained. I think probably in an effort of like, hey, we're doing a movie. The same things you do on stage can't work here. Um, but a very like narrow eyed Lin Manuel Miranda singing under his breath doing biragua. I don't know. Doesn't do it for me in the way that I yeah. want that to be like one man's call out into the night to remind the world that he exists and means something and is important and talking about the chris jackson thing i think you're getting what you're getting is a, a cute in joke and like a wonderful like continuation of the bromance like a, the meta text of that is phenomenal but what you're losing is a chance to hammer home the commentary. In my head, we never see him on stage, but in my head, Mr. Softy is the like white, white, white yeah. guy who plays yeah. Mr. Tasty Freeze on The Adventures of Pete and Pete. And he's coming in as a part of a <laughs> franchise of Mr. Softy trucks yeah. across New York. And he is going to run this little dude out of business. And having Chris Jackson, who also is incredibly charming.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so like, down. Like, seeing yeah.
2: him in a broken down truck at the end, and you can, you, you almost get the impression that, like, that's just a dude with a truck. Like, he's not that different <laughs> yeah, from the feet It's not he's a just corporate. A, yeah, he's just a guy in a truck kind of takes out the meaning of that moment
0: for me. I did okay. I figured out the guy we were trying Strong to think argument, of. Strong man. Is Seth Rudetsky. Seth and Rudetsky. And I'm so thank glad you, you remembered that web series. That was so. It was like it's like Norm Lewis and Matthew Morrison. Like all these yes. people. Do, wow, that was such like theater kid like <laughs> flashbacks. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, and then speaking of Chris Jackson, former Benny, I want to shout out my favorite performance in this movie is Corey Hawkins as Benny. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. <laughs> I had no idea he could do this. I've only ever seen him. In, like, dramas or action movies or...
2: I'm not sure I've ever seen... What else is he in?
0: He was in Straight Outta Compton. He was in, like, a season or two of The Walking Dead. I think he had, like, a small part in that Kong Skull Island movie. Like, kind of just generic, like, action-y guy. But is so freaking good in this movie. He's saying so good. He is freaking charming as hell with Nina. Like, I was blown away. This was just, like, a, a lot of these people in this movie I wasn't super familiar with or... Yeah, some of them I I wasn't I guess, but like he was a person where I knew, and all of a sudden I was seeing a whole new skill set and like a whole new context for him, and now I'm like put Corey Hawkins in every musical.
2: One hundred percent, he he makes he makes Benny make sense in a way that, at the very least, like I don't know because In the Heights was on Broadway for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, seeing seeing again don't tell anyone a youtube video of someone filming in the heights with chris God. jackson in it like i i don't i don't buy him as like a kid with dreams of mm. of you know he's so he's just such an imposing figure he's such a presence it's powerful yeah that like all of the things that make him a great george washington kind of undercut him as benny and seeing Corey hawkins as benny mm. i was like Oh, snap, I get it. Here, yep. Here is the hungry
0: kid who wants to make good. Oh, so charming. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to wrap up here, we've been going longer than I ever thought we could podcast, Ned. But l- let's do Thanks real quick hit, genuine us. quick hit. Everyone say their yes. favorite performance from this movie. You only get one. We'll start.
1: Actor or like or scene? Sorry, like musical mean.
0: number performance. Yeah, performance was not the, a helpful word to say there. Favorite musical number Ned looks stressed, so Tay, do you have one off the top of your head? Yes,
2: 96,000.
1: I don't think it can be beat.
0: Great, great choice.
1: Uh, That was really tempting for me. I'm going to say with the first one, I liked the the editing and the energy of In the Heights.
0: I'm going to say, actually, one of my favorite underrated songs from the show is Champagne. The Vanessa Usnavi thing, which very subtly in the movie all unfolds in one take. Yeah. And it has a real... That thing I like in musical theater where it feels like they're having a conversation and they're acting and it's about the performances. I really like that aspect. Alrighty, Rue, do we have anything... I mean, clearly we could probably talk about this movie for another two hours, but any quick hits we we've missed on. as we're sort of wrapping up here? We're frozen in indecision of what we could possibly <laughs> <And that's laughs> throw so good i
2: i so mean, good. I mean, I maintain that I think... Like Ned said at the very top of all of this, you know, if this is your first experience within the Heights is watching the movie, Uh, go check out the stage musical. That might be a cool, good time for you. Yeah. There's a lot to, to find and discover
0: and unpack. Check it out. Just listen to the cast recording if you want. Like so much of the story comes through on the cast recording. A lot of my favorite musicals, I mean, including this one until last night I had never seen on stage. Wink wink, if you want to go on YouTube, there is a full bootleg of the original Broadway no. cast. It's a little bit well, okay. Girl, I, don't I don't feel surprised. So this show is not this show is not currently running anywhere. We're not <laughs> stealing their box office. So whatever. I'm a bootleg. I'm a bootleg casual. You can join um, us in but,
2: jail. Me and Caroline. Yeah, you can will join be us in YouTube jail. You.
0: But just truly, just listen to the original Broadway cast. That's how I, the only way I experienced the show for years. You get so much, you get so much to the performances and the story, and that's just a great way to experience musicals. Um, okay. Tay. Where can our listeners find you online? And do you have anything you'd like to plug? And thank you for talking. With, first of all, thank you for talking with us for over two hours about this movie. i okay, so, <laughs> so glad to have literally
2: you. Literally anytime you want. Just call me up for whatever reason. I'm ready to talk about Vampires versus the Bronx. I'm so okay. ready. Let's do it. Anyways, Sweet. Um, <laughs> uh, where am I these days? I uh, am a, I am a professional game master. And you can find all the games that I run over at tabletale.com games.com that's Tabletale games
0: <laughs> and we'll link to that in our show notes as well is there is there like a social media where you'd like people to follow you or yeah, you online we're, we're, in that capacity
2: we are Tabletale games everywhere we don't have much of a social media presence it is mostly just us telling you about like fun adventures you can run with us um but yeah come and
0: check us out and can is this a thing like people can like sign up to do this with you is that
2: Yeah, yeah, you can sign up and play an RPG or play uh, D&D or your your RPG du jour with professional actor and author game masters who are so obsessed with story that they will dissect one for two hours on a podcast. I was going to say,
0: if this podcast has not sold you that Tay is the ultimate game master you want (laughs) to play with, then I don't know what possibly could, so definitely... Check him out for all your gaming needs.
1: Yeah, this is huge where a normal podcast plug is like, you can listen to my work here, but you could literally be in game with Tay, who I will say separately is one of the most amazing dungeon masters or game masters I've ever played with. The campaign that I last played with him was, it was a work of art. We don't have the framework to talk about, you know, RPG campaigns the same way we do about movies, but it had everything. (laughs) It was fantastic. Oh, I'm blushing. Thank you. So, Tabletale Games, y'all. Check it out. I highly It'll encourage you to go check notes. it out.
0: And unless one day we record a second bonus episode on In the Heights, which clearly is not out of the realm of possibility, <laughs> we are now sadly at the end of our show. And Roll Calling, our show, is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Roll Calling. Or you can email us, rollcalling at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-E. I also will say, if you are the person that has listened to two hours plus of this show and you want to go on your little Apple podcast app and give us a little rating or even a little review, we would appreciate it. To be honest, I have no idea if it helps more people find our show, but every podcast I listen to says it does. So I'm going to assume that they know more than I do. So give us a little rating on there if you so desire. Next week, we will be back to kick off our Dev Patel miniseries. Get back on track there with Slumdog Millionaire. We've got another exciting guest. that episode. But until then,
2: keep scraping by.
0: (laughs) That was even better than I ever could have imagined what you're
2: going to do. (laughs) I don't say